Hey mom, first things first, thank you. It's my one year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, mom, Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. The Ford F-150 truck drives smart design forward. The standard 12-inch productivity screen helps you get what you need done too. And the available pro-access tailgate improves access to bed and cargo and utilization of the bed, including when towing a trailer. Together with a wider bumper step, it's easier to access the bed and load in tight spaces. An available Pro Power onboard serves as a mobile power source, providing up to 7.2 kilowatts of power to charge a bed full of electric dirt bikes or run an entire job site worth of tools. I'm still driving my 2016 F-150 truck and 90,000 miles in. As long as I keep it clean, it honestly still looks brand new. I've taken it down snow-covered forest service roads, taken it out camping, put a ton of miles on it on the freeway, had five adults in the cabin for long trips, and it's been great everywhere. Super dependable. I still love the way it looks, nice and rugged design, but with a super comfortable interior. And I'm still very happy with the quality sound system and heated seats. And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. What is the Oak Island mystery? Why have teams of people been digging hundreds of feet into the ground for over 200 years there? Is there buried pirate treasure? Aztec gold? Secrets of the Knights Templar? Bojangles missing leg? His missing eye? What is that island hiding? Anything at all? Will anything ever be found? Has anything been found? So many questions. Lives have been lost trying to solve that island's mysteries. And I lost a lot of sleep trying to figure them out uh, myself this week. So many crazy possibilities for what could be buried on Oak Island, and we examine a lot of them and give a nice timeline of the digs and today's so many shafts, so much Oak Island mystery edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Hail Nimrod, Time Suckers. Hello, Cole to the Curious. I'm Dan Cummins, and this is Time Suck. Be gone, Lucifina. Thanks to uh, Appleton, Wisconsin time suckers who came out on a Wednesday in the cold and the snow uh, this past week. Small but mighty and fantastic crowd. Uh, really nice talking to you guys afterwards. And thanks to Madison's big crowd last night. Uh, big fantastic crowd. Uh, more shows in Madison this weekend. Uh, grab tickets fast if you're, if you're going to come out. Some of the shows already sold out. Others close to being sold out. And I am recording in Madison now in my hotel room. So apologies to whoever is next door. Uh, closing out uh, the year at Comedy Works in Denver, Colorado, December 28th through New Year's Eve. Hope to see you there. Many 2018 tour dates now posted at dancummins.tv, timesuckpodcast.com, such as Indianapolis. Come on, Indy. Be good to me again. Morty's Comedy Joint, January 5th and 6th. Get those tickets now, Indy suckers. Providence, Rhode Island, the Comedy Connection, January 19th through the 20th. Chicopee, Massachusetts, Cabot Comedy Club, January 21st. Philadelphia, going to be at the Punchline. January 25th through 27th, Chicago, January 31st through February 3rd at Zany's in Rosemont. Love that club. New York City Gotham Comedy Club, one night only, February 11th. Very excited to be uh, to be doing a set there. 
Uh, two live podcasts now in the books for 2018. Small Town Murder Swap Cast in Detroit on February 16, 2018 at the Magic Bag Happening. Live Swap Cast Podcast. Tickets are on sale. Two shows uh, one night. Stand up at 7 p.m. Swap Cast with James and Jimmy. Those fantastic fucks. Uh, Going to be 10 p.m. Uh, Sisyphus Brewing, Minneapolis, March 3rd. Only $10 tickets for Live Time Suck Podcast. First one of 2018. That specifically, you know, times up. Those aren't uh, quite on sale yet. Uh, working to get those on 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 live on their website. You know, I can only we can only yell at them so many times. Uh, but hopefully, they they put those on sale soon. Uh, I'll announce uh, first on Instagram at Time Suck Podcast. Uh, yeah, on Instagram. Small room, only ninety seats. So when those do go on sale, hopefully they go pretty fast. I'll be doing stand up shows there March second, third as well. Uh, check the tour date section on the website for more info. Ticket links uh, in this episode description. And uh, yeah, and the stand-up stuff, by the way, if you've seen me recently, uh, if it's been more than a month since you've seen me, going to be a lot of new stuff at the show. Working on a lot of new content right now. Kicking out a lot of new a lot of new comedy, a lot of new stand-up, getting stuff ready. So when you uh, my albums come out, uh, one at the end of January, it's going to be a little Pandora exclusive, more details you know, in future shows on that one. And then the other album, uh, a whole separate uh, set of bits, previously unreleased as well, coming out for the Time Suck people in February. Uh, you know, I, I want uh, once those things come out to have a whole bunch of new shit for you here. If you come to the live show, okay. So now, bonus suck fourteen: the mystery of Oak Island. So, what is Oak Island, and where is it? Well, it's 140 acres of hard wood that's been slammed uh, right up inside your mom. Ha! <laughs> Aggressive. Too much. No, it's 140 acres of hills, hardwoods, and marsh. A uh, privately owned island, one of about 350 islands that dot the picturesque Mahone Bay landscape of Nova Scotia, Canada. The town of Mahone Bay has been a treasure since 1754, according to MahoneBay.com and nowhere else. Uh, by the way, did not, uh, really busy week, didn't do as much uh, pronunciation checking as I normally do on geographical places. So maybe it's Mahoney. I'm going to go with Mahone, because that's how I... <laughs> As you know, my pronunciation instincts are not good. So, I don't know. Uh, it looks fantastic. It looks fantastic. Also, according to MahoneBay.com, uh, the word Mahone is derived from a French term for the speedy, low-lying craft used by pirates to stash their booty and escape the authorities. A lot of pirate talk today. Plays into the Oak Island legend for sure. The British colonized the area in 1753, uh, bringing European settlers to the lands of what is present-day Lunenburg County. Protestant settlers from Germany and Switzerland farmed large plots of land in an area that was better suited for more marine-like endeavors. Uh, Mahone Bay soon became known for its fine shipbuilding yards, fishing fleets, and large-breasted women. Average cup size for the women there is, a, is an F. It's incredible. Uh, the biggest breast in the world. Uh, way bigger than a D cup. Those poor, poor women of uh, Mahone Bay in Lunenburg County. A lot of back problems. Most back problems per capita of any group of uh, women in the world. So it's a, it's, a, it's a bay located on the Atlantic coast of Nova Scotia, Canada, along the eastern end of yeah, like Lunenburg County. Nova Scotia is just a, a bit east of Maine. Bangor, as the crow flies, only 220 miles from uh, Oak Island. Uh, the easternmost coast of Maine is about 30 miles from the westernmost coast of Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia means New Scotland in Latin, and it's the first area of present-day Canada to have been permanently settled by Europeans. Oh, and, and the, uh, the large breast thing was complete and utter nonsense. D- damn you, Lucifina, putting lies in my very mouth. Sorry for the sympathy pain uh, you have been feeling, uh, you know, lady suckers. Or if you happen to be an F cup uh, or bigger yourself, you know, I, I hope, I don't know how you do it. I hope you have a solid support bra 
budget at your disposal. I don't know how you run or, or do anything with that. Uh, God bless you if you can manage it. Uh, incredible core strength, I guess. You know, you got to relieve that inevitable spinal pressure. I really, I don't understand the physics. I really don't. Uh, my pecs are at the edge of boobs. Sometimes I feel like right now when I run, they bounce a little bit. I don't care for it. I don't care for that feeling. Uh, in 16, 1605, French colonists established uh, Port Royal, the capital of what would become known as Acadia, uh, a colony of New France that would last until its British conquest in 1713. The French initially established trade relationships with the indigenous people of the area, the Micmacs. I did look up that, right? Acadia, guessing on the pronunciation. Micmac, solid. Thanks, thanks, Emma says stuff on YouTube. Th- thanks, Micmacs, for being one of about one Native, Native American, excuse me, excuse me, see, it's a, it's a hard habit to break. American Indian, uh, you know, tribes on earth with a very easy to pronounce name for uh, a bad pronunciation white dude. So yeah, so the indigenous people, the Micmacs, the Malasleet, uh, the Micmacs among the original inhabitants of the area around Oak Island itself, inhabiting the area for roughly 10,000 years. So they've been, they've been living around Oak Island for a while. Uh, living off the land in small villages along the coasts and rivers of the area. Oak Island, while a, a few people have lived there, uh, here and there, like actually on the island, ha- has never been the, the source of a large settlement for anyone. Probably, you know, just because it's tiny. It's, ne- it's never had uh, much more than one or two private residences uh, on it at any one time because it's a very small island. It's only a mile long. I didn't realize Oak Island was that small. It's only a mile long, uh, less than half a mile wide. So n- not very big. Never reaches a height of more than roughly 30 feet, you know, uh, roughly 10 meters above sea, le- sea level. The closest towns to Oak Island are uh, Mahone Bay, the town. There is the bay itself and then the town of Mahone Bay, uh, Lunenburg and Chester. Mahone Bay is seven and a half miles, 12 kilometers away. It's a former fishing and logging town that's now a seasonal tourist town with a history of wooden boat building, about a thousand people. I would describe it from videos and pics online. It's, it's quaint. Uh, each October, the town, according to NovaScotia.com, comes alive with more than 150 handmade life-size scarecrows created by local artists to delight and amuse visitors of all ages. At the same time, the largest antique show in the Maritimes fills three venues with respected and sought-after venues. Or vendors. This is a Nova Scotia don't-miss event. You can't miss it, you guys. You, you can miss the scarecrow jamboree. You can miss that all, all day long. But you cannot miss the antique show. No, sir. It is the largest antique show in the Maritimes. How are, how are antiques more exciting than scarecrows? Like, there's antiques in every town. I can't remember the last town I, I've been through that I, that I did not see at least one antique shop in. I have never heard of a scarecrow festival. Uh, never heard of one of those before in my life, but apparently, uh, no big deal, Nova Scotia. The Maritimes, or Canadian Maritimes, by the way, are the terms used to describe the region, compromised of Canada's three easternmost provinces, New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and Prince Dickhead Island. Actually, it's Prince Edward Island. I don't, I don't know why that just came out of my mouth. I'm sure the people there are fantastic. I've never been. I have no reason to disparage them. Lunenburg is 23 kilometers, 14 miles away, and it's a fucking dump. How's that, Canada? It's so gross there. It's full of nothing but inbred dog molesters who'd rather eat your children than shake your hand. That's actually the town motto. Yeah. How fucking intense is that? The town motto is welcome to Lunenburg, where we'd rather eat your fucking children than shake your hand. It might actually say, eat your fucking hand. I can't remember how many fucks are in there. I, uh, of course not. None of that's true. It's actually a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Uh, UNESCO being the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. Probably part of the Illuminati, right? Huh? Conspiracy nuts? Uh, specialized agency of the United Nations based in Paris. 
Actually, Old Town Lunenburg uh, is one of the only two urban communities in North America designed as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Who knew? Not me. Uh, 70% of the original colonial buildings from the 18th and 19th centuries continue to greet visitors with their colorful, colorful facades. It actually is it's super cute. Is very, I would I would totally visit. Uh, just over 2,000 people inhabit the little coastal fishing town that was one of Britain's first towns in Canada. Originally, it was a Micmac encampment and clam harvesting site. Got to harvest those clams, man. That sounds... <laughs> the, the seventh grader in me just got a crazy visual when I said, you know, harvesting, clam harvesting site. Uh, the Brits began... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they began the town as an agricultural center. Soon it became a major fishing and shipbuilding center as well. Its shipyard repaired warships in both World War I and World War II. But now, mostly dog molesters, as you know. Shameful. No, Chester is uh, 17 kilometers, 10 and a half miles northeast of Oak Island. Little town settled originally by colonists from Massachusetts, actually, who came up north following invitations by Lieutenant Governor and subsequently Governor of Nova Scotia, Charles Lawrence, the man with a First name and last name that's also a first name, Charles Larry, uh, to settle lands taken from natives in 1755. Taken from the Micmacs, goddammit. This town of fishers, farmers primarily. Oh, Charlie Larry. He's, uh, he's settling their lands. Now another little tourist town for the most part. No, it's a, it's a quaint, very scenic area. Uh, the former sci-fi channel show Haven, which I've not seen, but I did uh, some research and found it. It's, it's based on the story. The Colorado Kid by Stephen King, and it was filmed largely... In Chester, Lunenburg, and Mahone Bay. So if you you know if you're a fan of that show, if you've seen that show, well then you've seen this area. Uh, look it up if you want to feel you know for the Oak Island uh, you know environment. Other than the occasional clashes between European settlers and the Micmac, only a few dust ups uh, and a few dust ups with Americans in the Revolutionary War and the War of 1812. Mostly been a kind of a quiet little area. The weather's fairly mild, maybe a little on the cold side for you warm blooded Southerners. Average high of 76 degrees Fahrenheit, 24 degrees Celsius in July. Average low of 14 degrees Fahrenheit, negative 10 degrees Celsius in the January and February. Sleepy little area of sleepy little islands and sleepy little coastal towns. Small town living, multi-million dollar estate summer homes. You know, saw some gorgeous colonial homes for a couple mil overlooking various bays and some, you know, local real estate sites. Rich people taking expensive boats out of the bay. Poor middle class tourists buying fried cod chips from little seafood shacks and hanging out on the beach and that's what the area is now man you know homeless people being you know drugged at night and burned in dumpsters burned alive and it's only an hour's drive from halifax city of about a half million people nice nice place to take a day trip if you want to get away from the hustle and bustle of halifax if you're a trailer park boys fan which i am uh julian ricky randy bubbles and the boys r.i.p mr Leahy, all live in dartmouth nova scotia just outside of halifax and also an hour away and the, uh, the dumpster hobo burning thing, also nonsense. I hope you, hope you knew that. And this is where our story takes place, in a quiet rural area, in a quieter time, when a few locals thought they came across some buried treasure, some pirate treasure, and they started digging a hole that has collectively, along with new holes around it, dug later. Uh, actually, you know what? I, I, I put that in my notes, and that's actually not correct. I started digging a hole that's become the money pit. Many holes have been dug around it later, but there's only one money pit. And let's, and let's dig into a timeline uh, on that pit and the others. Let's dig into all the holes of Oak Island from the first dig all the way up today with a little time suck timeline. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. October 1759. Charles Lawrence, old Charlie Larry, old CL. 
uh, who was uh, then the, the Governor General of Nova Scotia, included Oak Island in the Shoreham Grant, the initial land grant establishing the town of Shoreham, which is now Chester, just northeast of Oak Island. Oak Island then uh, became the official colonial possession of four families, the Monroes, the Lynches, the Seacombs, and the Youngs. It is uh, no longer possible to state with any, any degree of certainty how those four farming families used the islands since proper records just were not kept. But in all probability, they, they would have pastured some of their livestock on the island. Yeah, that's what, that's what he would have used it for. The island now, now connected by road to the mainland, only, only about 200 feet from the mainland. Uh, in 1768, Charles Morris, an early, early surveyor, uh, divided the island into 32 parcels of roughly four acres each. The first 20 ranged along the northern edge of the island, 12 more along the south shore, and Timothy Lynch purchased land parcel number 19 from Edward Smith in 1768. Lynch's plot 19 was well towards the eastern tip of Elk Island, adjacent to plot 18, which would hold the mysterious money pit. And sometime between 1768 and 1795, the original record of the sale may have been lost forever, uh, a man named Casper Wallenhaupt, what a name, of Lunenburg, bought the infamous Plot 18. And then, in 1795, the first discovery that has led to several deaths and the dissolution of many a person's finances was made. According to Oak Island legend Daniel McGinnis, local teenage farm boy, rode out to explore the then-uninhabited Oak Island and, and find a place to jerk off in peace away from the watchful, judging eyes of his mother. He wanted to pull a, a good old-fashioned wood jerk, uh, a chikatilo, if you will. What is what is the big deal? So I, so I jerk in the woods. So I get caught in, and there's finger pointing and laughing. Woods is perfectly acceptable place to jerk soft shamecock. No mess for hotel maid to clean. No sock to make stiff with shame juice. Why why laugh at Chicotillo? Chicotillo jerk pioneer. Chicotillo jerk visionary. If only soft jerk more acceptable and less mocking, maybe Chicotillo never wrestle and kill. Why bring Chicotillo to Canada in 1795? Wrong continent, wrong century, wrong tale for jerking of soft cock. Every time I do Chikatilo now, I think of the first time listeners, and I feel a tiny, bit, I feel a tiny bit bad. Sorry if that was extremely confusing. Uh, if it wasn't, I hope you liked it. Hail Nimrod. Yes. So parcels of land had been sold, but no one had built a homestead, and there was land much more suitable for farming on the mainland nearby. So, so no one was farming either. Now, now I got Chikatilo in my head. Now I just fucking put him in my own head. He's not supposed to be in my mind right now, but now I'm just picturing this little island. A quaint little island and this fucking Russian serial killer just farming and jerking off on it. Just like plow fields sometimes. I, I sneak off behind tree and uh, jerks off cock other times. <laughs> I, I, I try to set up, uh, you know, babysitting uh, business for kids, but I get very few takers and the one customer I get, I kill. So uh, business bad. Babysitting business bad. Uh, farming, not bad. Uh, oxen do not, uh, they stare uh, blank whether I jerk shame cock or not. Okay, maybe, maybe I just purged him from my mind now. Now he's probably in yours even harder. <laughs> okay, Daniel came across, Daniel, Daniel McGinnis came across a small clearing, which is saucer-shaped depression, about four meters, right? About 11, 12 feet across. Beside it st- stood an oak with one sturdy branch lopped off to correspond with the center of the hollow. An old ship's block and tackle hung from this lopped branch. It's so mysterious. What does it all mean? It has to be important. It has to be a sign. Daniel fetched two friends. Two friends in his own age group, John Smith, Anthony Vaughn, all men under 20. And uh, they were excited to find some of that pirate plunder they hoped was under the ground. The local lads began to dig. And they soon realized that they were, you know, re-excavating a circular shaft. 
So much, there's going to be so much shaft talk today. Mind the shaft, gentle with the shaft. Then, uh, you know, not as much, not as much so. Then you let go of the shaft. Stop touching it. Wait, what? Uh, the, the tough clay walls clearly bore the pick marks of whoever had originally dug the shaft. So, you know, they're really fueling their speculation. There's just something down there. Within a meter of the surface, the boys discovered a layer of stone slabs. The rock from the, which the slabs were cut apparently was from the Gold River, about three kilometers, a little under two miles up the mainland coast, as if the Gold River slabs and pick marks in the clay were not evidence enough of the shaft's importance. Three meters, just under ten feet down, the boys struck a platform of traverse oak logs embedded firmly in the in the walls of a of the, of the shaft. Again, so much a lot, of, a lot of shaft talk today. I'm trying to remember if I got my my meters right. I looked up some of these. A lot of try to do a lot of meter. Feet conversion. I think I got it right. The outer surfaces were decaying. The oak platform had evidently been there a long time. The boys pulled it out and discovered that the soil below it had, had settled to leave a vertical gap of about half a meter, about 17 inches. Encouraged by the thought that such elaborate and laborious work probably concealed a considerable amount of treasure, the men dug on with renewed enthusiasm. John Smith also quickly purchased the parcel the hole was on. Hell yeah, I did. That would be a real bummer to be, you know, tapping on a treasure chest with your shovel only to have some surveyor or some owner come out from, you know, behind the tree. Oh, thanks for grabbing. That's for me, boys. Thanks for getting treasure for Chikatilo. Now get the hell off this island. <laughs> Let me jerk on treasure in, in silence and without prying eyes. Uh, soon realizing it was more work than the three of them could handle. You now the lads decided uh, to call on adult relatives and friends to help with the dig. Between six and seven meter uh, levels down, uh, they encountered another transverse oak platform between nine and 10 meters, you know, roughly 30 feet down. They found another platform, another wood platform, realizing that an excavation on this scale was more than they could just handle themselves. Uh, frustrated. They hadn't found anything yet. The early diggers marked the area carefully with wooden stakes covered over the top of the pit with brushwood and branches. And then went back to their normal daily routines. Daydreaming about pirate treasure. And that is what they thought that was buried there. Of course they did. It was the age of pirates. Uh, there were pirates all over the Atlantic at that time. There were rumors of pirates frequenting Oak Island and numerous other islands around the bay. All those islands made for good hiding places. Maybe one of those pirates had some buried treasure, you know? If you'll, if you'll recall from Time Suck 28, the Blackbeard episode, the golden age of piracy occurred between 1690, uh, lasted to 1730, when Nova Scotia, largely unsettled by Europeans, was an ideal location for pirates to hide out, repair ships, regroup. One of the nastiest pirates of the golden age, Ned Lowe, Possibly a future time suck topic. Ruthless pirate, pirate apparently, who burned many a ship, uh, supposedly tortured and killed many a sailor, raided fishing fleets who used Nova Scotian harbors as shelters and fishing stations. Lowe terrorized the New England fleet in Shelburne in 1720, and some think he hid some treasure in Nova Scotia. Uh, the pirate William Kidd claimed to have hidden treasure before he surrendered in 1699. Uh, he's the only pirate known to actually have hidden treasure. Uh, only one location was verified, Gardner's Island near Long Island, New York. But, you know, it wasn't some elaborate buried, you know, chest with traps and stuff. But he, but he quickly hid some stuff there to come back for later that he didn't get to come back for. Uh, some people believe Nova Scotia may have been one of his other hiding places, if he had other hiding places. There's no real evidence that he did. Yeah, and, and that New York one, they, they just, you know, interrogated him and other people, and they found it really quick. It wasn't like, uh, you know, they had to find some fucking secret pirate map and then years later found this, oh, shit, there's treasure here. Now they, 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 got, it, they got it out of him, like, oh, you left your treasure in that island? Okay, we're going to get it now. So, and then pirating continued well past 1720. Two pirates were hanged uh, on George's Island in 1785 in Nova Scotia. Another, Jordan the Pirate, uh, was hanged at Point Pleasant Park. 
near the Black Rock Beach in 1809. At the same time, the Navy hanged six mutineers at Hangman's Beach on McNabb's Island just across the harbor. Yeah, man. Uh, any ship entering Halifax Harbor in 1809 had to pass between hanging and rotting corpses. Fun times. Great, great for tourism. Welcome to Halifax Harbor, jewel of eastern Canada. On your right, you'll notice our quaint and growing downtown area. A lot of fine folks and lovely shops to visit. We, we're just about past McNabb's Island. You can see Point Pleasant Park up ahead, and, and, and immediately to your left is a, is a well, a, is, is a few rotting maggot-infested uh, pirate corpses. There's also a, a few on your right, uh, right at the edge of McNabb's Island there. Uh, notice the skin peeling from the skull, the smell. Uh, soon, soon we'll get away from it, and we'll, and we'll be off to quaint little Frog Pond Park. So, okay. Uh, yeah, the guys thought they, uh, they found, you know, the X marks the spot location of Barry's pirate treasure on there. But interesting note on pirate treasure, though. No uh, buried pirate treasure and the way we think of it from movies, has ever been found. Ever. Let me repeat that. And sorry to be the fucking buzzkill. No random treasure seeker has ever, ever found some old pirate map. Not one time. Followed it to some buried pirate treasure and dug up some gold. Dug up some plunder. Not once. Fucking Goonies. God damn it. Making me think that this was possible my whole life. Baby Ruth. If you can find an article uh, about this happening, but not some wackadoodle clickbait website or crazy secondary source book. A real legitimate find, you let me know. Because I can't find anything, which is shocking to me. Uh, yeah, no treasure that's been documented. Shipwrecks have been found, you know, including pirate ships. You know, treasure's been found on the sea floor, yeah. But a chest of buried treasure. Never been found on Oak Island. Never been found anywhere in the world. There, there are treasures rumored to have been buried around the world. Key word being rumored. And, and treasures have certainly been plundered by pirates and remain missing, but no one has ever randomly, you know, been out digging on the ground and come across some mythical chest of gold, jewels, and maybe a skull in there and some other riches. How about that shit? More on pirates later in this episode. Back back to that uh, first dig. Uh, as time passed, John built a house near the pit, one of the first three diggers, and he managed to acquire plots 15 to 20. Uh, you know, thus becoming the owner of, of the whole 24 acres at the eastern end of the island. Not able to dig farther down at the moment, he, you know, with the tools and manpower available, uh, the dig was put on hold for a couple years until 1803. And then in 1803, the next adventurer to help uh, take up the challenge of the Oak, of Oak Island digs was Simeon Linz. And there are discrepancies in the story of who he was, you know, or, or how he came to meet with the original diggers and the owners of the you know, land the dig occurred on, you know, this John Smith. He, he may have been a relative May have been the Smith family doctor, may have been a family friend, may have been a traveling businessman. Hell, he, he may have even been a professional snake juggler. Why not? Maybe he juggled live snakes, poisonous ones, down by the water under the light of the full moon. And that's how he made his living, which was really hard because he put on a hell of a show, but only once a month, you know, so he can't make a lot of money on that. And most of his potential audience is asleep at home, you know, because it's a shitty showtime. Uh, whoever he was, Simeon Linz was intrigued by the money pit. He or his father put together a little group of business and professional men in and around Onslow, a town of about two hours away, which became known as the Onslow Company. One member of the crew was Sheriff Tom Harris, and another was Colonel Archibald, a town clerk, justice of the peace, and a dude with a really cool old-timey name. Colonel Archibald. That is a name that catches your ear, right? Single 19th century ladies, they perk up a little more when they hear that a man named Colonel Archibald you know, is coming to town. They're going to get a little more excited than if they were to hear, you know, Corporal Gary is coming to town. When Colonel Archibald heads over, you know, you put on your best dress. You accidentally bump into him in a desperate attempt to catch his eye. When Corporal Gary swings through town, you put on your dad's overalls. You throw some mud on your face and you complain loudly about the terrible flatulence you've had ever since you, 
had four sandwiches for lunch. Anywho, the Onslow men, they dug away steadily while Colonel Archibald puffed from his pipe and stared at them through his monocle disapprovingly. Unearthing platforms of oak logs at regular 10-foot intervals as they cleared out more and more of the pit, they encountered other curious layers of, of things as well. There are minor divergences in the accounts of what precisely was discovered at which level, but as the digging continued, layers of putty, charcoal, coconut fiber are pro- pulled out. There was so much putty spread over one, uh, one layer of oak logs, according to one account, that it was used to glaze the windows of more than 20 local houses. Eh, I don't, that sounds wacky to me. Uh, Hiram Walker was a ship's carpenter who lived in Chester at the time, who worked at the money pit. Years later, he told his granddaughter, uh, Mrs. Cottenham Smith, that he had seen bushels of coconut fiber being lifted out of the shaft as the work progressed. Another very intriguing find for the Onslow Company was a large, flat stone encountered you know, just about the 90-foot level that apparently had some sort of cryptic inscription on it. But where is this super cool stone that I would love to see and have verified by archaeologists and pirate historians? Well, John Smith was halfway through building a fireplace in his Oak Island farmhouse during the dig, and apparently he incorporated the stone into his mantle. You know, partly to keep it safe, partly to provide a conversation piece. Uh, okay. That's an interesting choice. In, in 1865, this uh, very important stone was taken from the Smith homestead and placed on display in the window of the bookbindery belonging to A.O. Creighton in Halifax. A.O. Creighton was at the time treasurer of one of the Oak Island treasure hunting syndicates. And it was uh, hoped that, you know, if he displayed the stone, it would encourage new shareholders to participate in the search. A witness named Jefferson McDonald is reported to have said uh, that he saw the stone at close quarters, you know, helped move it, in fact, and there was no doubt at all that there was a coded inscription upon it. And no one had been able to solve it until, of course, someone did. An old local Irish teacher eventually translated it to read, 40 feet below 2 million pounds are buried. And then A.O. Creighton left the business in 1879, and a new firm was started by Herbert Creighton, old Herb, and Edward Marshall. Edward's son, Harry, was with the firm from 1890 onwards. He made a statement about the stone in 1935 to treasure hunter Frederick Blair and his lawyer, Reginald Harris. Well, if that isn't a 1935 name, I don't know what it is. Get Reginald, get Reginald Harris in here to look at the stone. The gist of Harry Marshall's evidence was that he remembered the stone well, but had never seen the inscription on it because it had been worn away by years of use as a bookbinder's beating stone. What? Okay, I can't, I can't handle the stone story anymore. It was, it was used for what? For a fireplace. And then it gets used as a bookbinder's beating stone, whatever the fuck that is. And it gets worn out. And there's no longer a very important historical engraving upon it that could lead to pirate treasure. Bullshit. <laughs> and, 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 and why was it made in the first place? You know, I guess, I guess when, you're, when you're burying important treasure that you want to come back later to find, you know, you want to leave an important clue to let people trying to take it from you uh, know that they should keep digging. Because that makes a lot of sense. Disarm, matey. I see that you're after me carefully hidden plunder. Plunder uh, somehow buried, well, over almost 150 feet beneath the ground. Even though I'm a pirate and not a mining engineer or excavator known for my, for my shovel work. Arr, matey. Well, don't give up on trying to get the treasure I obviously wanted to retrieve one day. Or I, I would not have gone through a tremendous amount of work to, A, get the treasure and take it and steal it, and B, work so hard to hide it. Uh, but don't, don't try to stop. Don't you stop trying to steal it for me. Just 40 more feet down, and you can take all that I work so hard to hide. Arr, matey, I'm the smartest, dumbest pirate who ever sailed the seven or, or sixteen uh, seas or f- four or whatever. So, you know, I have doubts about the existence of the stone. 
a lot of logic problems with the story, <laughs> like a lot. There are, there are more logic holes on Oak Island than there are actual digging holes. Um, but yeah, <laughs> this, uh, you know, this stone in, in, inexplicably uh, lost its inscription. I've, I've never heard of that happening to an important <laughs> artifact before. What should we do with this artifact? Should we keep it under glass? Should we hide it? It's very important. No, just uh, beat some books against it until we wear out the words. Uh, and then it disappeared altogether at some later point in history. Okay, so after the onslaught team supposedly found to remove this stone, they kept digging. Shortly, you know, shortly b- below the stone, 90 plus feet below the opening of the earth, they began probing the soggy base of the pit with long iron rods. I tell you, I tell you, find stuff. You dig a big hole, and then eventually you just get some long, like super long iron rods, like a hundred foot long iron rods, and you just kind of like poke around down there. That's how the that's how the pros do it. Some soggy, some soggy mud poking. At the ninety eight foot level, those probes struck something impenetrably hard, which extended from one side of the money pit to the other. Water and darkness posed serious enough problems that the this uh, evening they were doing this. And they found this hard object that the Onslow men decided to resume their search at first light, which brought a grim disappointment. The money pit was now over 60 feet deep in water. One account relates that as they gathered around the opening, an unlucky member of the expedition slipped into the flooded shaft, only to sputter to the surface, shouting that the water tasted of salt. Salt, he repeated, as his companions lowered a rope and hauled him to safety. Salt! Ah, matey, there's salt in, in, my, in my pirate hole. Uh... The men began trying to empty the pit by bailing it like a leaking ship, but, you know, that's not going to work. It had no effect whatsoever. Okay, so after the discouraging problem of the hole filling up with seawater, the crew took the winter off, you know, got to regroup. Let's get our heads together again. Uh, then the onslow crew was back at it in the spring of 1804. They dug a parallel shaft 15 feet southeast of the old money pit to try and dig beneath the waterlogged shaft and, and dig under it to reach that treasure. Their new veiny shaft, their new hard veiny shaft. Wait, what? Uh, their new shaft reached 115 feet without encountering any water problems at all. The tunnelers began to cut horizontally through the stubborn clay towards the money pit itself. They accomplished the first 12 or 13 feet without any serious problems. Less than three feet now separated the excited miners from the spot where they believed the treasure lay. Oh, man, they're excited. And then water again. Damn it, damn you, Lucifina, and your, and your sea salt, and your sea salt water of despair. Back to square one. Now they have two wet shafts, which is a lot of people's dreams but not these guys. They didn't want two wet shafts. They wanted one dry shaft. They're further from finding the treasure than they were when they started, so they disband, and they return to being farmers, fishermen, boat makers, a little poorer, probably a lot more depressed than they were before this all started. Well, after this second failure, the money pit sits abandoned for nearly 50 years. Just an old abandoned shaft. A couple shafts, just no one cares about it anymore. Uh, by the time the Truro Company is, is formed in 1849, one of the original three money pit discovers Daniel McGinnis, He's already in his grave, and the other two, Smith and Bond, both in their 70s. The mysterious treasure they've been trying to locate since they were teenagers, you know, is still eluding them. The Truro Group, which is formally inaugurated in 1845, consisted of John Pitblado, uh, or James, John or James, I guess the historical accounts vary, John Gamble, uh, Robert Creelman, Adam Tupper, Jonathan McCulley. McCulley was their site manager in charge of all operations, and Pitblado was responsible for drilling and uh, ancillary activities, and their work on the island began in earnest in 18, 1849. On the 40 years since the onslow digs, the original shaft and their secondary shaft both collapsed. You know, they had to start from scratch. They needed yet another shaft to be dug. You know, sometimes when things are a mess, you just gotta you gotta bring a new shaft into the mix. Uh, things started off all right. They were they were well over 80 feet down after two weeks worth of digging. And their luck was holding as far as the water was concerned. It was 
Saturday, and they, and they broke for the evening in church the next morning. And when they returned, the money pit was 60 feet deep in water, exactly as it had been when it bested the Onslow men in 1805. They bailed as vigorously as their Onslow dudes had done right before those same guys. And it was pointless as it was the first time around in 1805. Once that water gets there, you can't just fucking bucket it out. Not going to work, guys. Sorry. Uh, they only had one valve sludger for digging. They lost it about 110 feet down when they were drilling their first exploratory hole, and they couldn't afford a new one, I guess. Not one like the, they had the first time. They decided to explore the depths of the shaft with a pod auger. Now, this was a piece of prospecting equipment mainly used in the mid-19th century by mining speculators looking for coal. The key to its operation was a vital component known as a valve sludger. This was a sturdy tube for raising the core samples. Right, It worked uh, on the principle of a one-way valve, which would pick the Truro men's, you know, uh, uh, which would pick things up, you know, and kind of like shoot it back to the top. And the Drew men's tragedy was their need to economize on equipment as it cut its way downwards. You know, unfortunately, th- that first valve such as they had well, was the only really good one, and the replaced one didn't work as well, and it really couldn't bring much to the surface. And it, it, again, I think it's kind of like, you know, uh, I'm not a miner, so it's a, a little, it was a little hard for me to wrap my head around exactly how this, this thing is sucking stuff back up to the surface. But the only thing we need to know for this story is that the first thing they used to poke exploratory holes would, would bring, could bring like, you know, let's say a, a pirate coin. It could bring something like that up. I don't know how, but it could apparently do it back up to the surface. The second thing could drill down, but not get something as big as a coin back up. It could just get like tiny little grains of like wood and dirt and, you know, just couldn't pull much, you know, and supposedly this, this second drill, the one that couldn't pull things back up, that's the one that went through, they're pretty sure, these guys, two boxes or casks, you know, or chests, excuse me, of, of loose metal. So obviously pirate treasure, you know, some gold coins, but it just, it just couldn't bring any of that gold to the surface so they'd know for sure. How convenient. I mean, disappointing. At the 98-foot level down, precisely the depth where the Onslow men had hit with their iron probing rods 40 years earlier, the pod auger, the second one, went through a spruce platform nearly six inches thick. Subsequent drillings again hit the 98-foot platform, and the side of a chest or some kind of sarcophagus, small splinters of wood came up from it, and McCulley noted with commendable precision and attention to detail that the drill behaved oddly and erratically, as though revolving as though, as though the revolving chisel tip was struck repeatedly against a wooden obstruction parallel to one side of the descending drill. That's the conclusion he came to. Coconut fiber also came up, and very significantly, three or four links of gold chain, perhaps from a necklace or a bracelet. Couldn't again, couldn't bring back coins, you know, because of its design, you know, but it could bring, you know, back little pieces of things that could indicate coins are nearby. This could not seem fishier to me. Like, let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. Uh, you had some sort of device that could retrieve gold coins and treasure if it encountered those things. But that thing of a jigger broke. So you went out and and instead of just waiting for a proper replacement, you just got uh, a, a thing that could drill like the first thing, but just left you to guess about what you hit. It couldn't bring anything up except for maybe the tiniest link of a of a tiny gold bracelet or something. You know, no actual treasure, just treasure clues is all the second thing you do. You know, uh, so and then you just kept drilling more holes that none, none of which could let you know for sure if there was treasure. Like, get the fuck out of here. But that's the story. And it gets even more suspicious as it goes on. John Gamble, a major Truro company shareholder, claimed that he had seen Plitblato. Sorry about the police sirens. Uh, again, hotel room recording, man. You just got to plow through it. You got to keep digging. You got to keep digging into the story. Just like Plitblato and these wackadoodles kept digging with their shitty auger thing. So, uh, so but this, check out this part of the story. John Gamble, a major Truro company shareholder, claimed that he had seen Plitblato take something from the second auger. 
closely examine it, and then pocket it when he thought no one was watching. All right, so this guy, you know, he's watching this little fucking tool. You know, they bring something to the surface, and then he just kind of looks around like out of a movie, like, oh, I hope no one's watching. He takes something, examines it, you know, and puts it in his pocket. Well, Gamble, he then challenges Piplato to show him what he had taken, and Piplato apparently promised he would reveal the contents of his pocket, but not, not now. He's going to do it at the next shareholders' meeting. And then a short time later, before the meeting would occur, Piplato just vanishes. He leaves the country. And then years later, he dies and we'll never know what he took. <laughs> I'm guessing he didn't take anything because this story makes no sense. This is nonsense. Again, let me get this straight. You have tons of money invested in a treasure dick. And then you see another fellow investor pocket something, secretly pocket something from the dig that seems very important to him. You confront him. He admits he has something of value. But then he, then he tells you he's not going to show it to you until the next meeting. Fuck that. If you and I are on an island and we've invested a lot of our money, I've invested a lot of my money in a treasure hunt, and I finally see something you know, uh, interesting go on, I see, and I see you take something, something that clearly would have to be treasure or an important clue to treasure for you to hide it, and then you let me know you have it, but, you, but you're not going to show me what it is right then. Fucking no, you're not getting off the island, buddy. We're wrestling. All right? I'm either getting my ass beat or I'm getting what is in your pocket. It's going to get violent. Right? How could it not? That's fucking crazy. Oh, yeah, no, I'll just wait till the next meeting. Yeah, just go ahead and just uh, – I'll just trust that whatever you just hid in your pocket that you will actually show me that as opposed to doing whatever you want with it when I'm not around later. Uh, following Pip Blatto's disappearance, the crew keeps digging, and of course they never hit water again. Yeah, or of course they, I'm sorry. Of course they hit water again, like everyone else had had, pre, you know, done previously. They notice that it rises and falls with the tide now, so they decide to go to the beach and they see if they can locate a flood tunnel connecting the mine shaft to the Atlantic. That's what they think now. They think there's like like the, the maybe the pirates, whoever hit the treasure, like dug one hole straight down, and then to prevent you know uh, would be thieves from taking it, they had this uh, other tunnel coming from just under you know just out in the, out in the water in the beach, kind of 45 degree angled into the first tunnel. So if you dug you know, uh, a certain amount down, all of a sudden this, this flood tunnel would flood your shaft with water. So that's what thing is happening now. So they begin to dig at the beach at Smith's Cove. The first thing they find is a massive sheet of coconut fiber, which covered the shoreline for about 150 feet. The fiber layer was between two and three inches deep, and, and, and below it lay several more inches of tough old, you know, salt-resistant eelgrass, which was, however, now showing signs of decay. It had evidently been there a long time. The double blanket of eelgrass and coconut fiber covered the shore between high and low tide levels. It would seem to have served two purposes, to retain and transmit water like an enormous sponge and to prevent uh, clay from passing through to clog whatever you know lay beneath. A member of the Truro team noted the remains of an old coffer dam surrounding these amazing beach workings and thought that if it was how the original builders had done it, his men could do it too. All right, now we get some solid logic. So the Truro team builds their own coffer dam around the zone they were investigating. They get the seawater out of the way. They dig down b- below the stones, and they discover a set of five fan-shaped box drains, relentlessly conducting the Atlantic into the lower levels of the money pit. So with their quickly erected and, and you know a coffer dam in place, they, they began to trace the drainage system back up to the beach as it converged on the main flood tunnel leading to the money pit. About 15 or 20 yards along, they were having to dig down you know, four or five feet to locate the drains. And then disaster struck in the form of abnormally high, uh, an abnormally high tide, which then overflowed their temporary coffer dam. It was constructed to take pressure from the Atlantic side, but not from uh, the weight of inshore water trying to flow back down to the beach, and it broke and washed away. Oh, man, how convenient. I mean, terrible. The Truro team was beginning to suffer from two of the major frustrations experienced by almost all Oak Island teams sooner or later. Insufficient time, 
uh, insufficient funds. Right on, on balance, McCulley and the shareholders decided what what that trying to rebuild the dam would be too too costly, wouldn't be cost effective. You know, what they had already been able to study of the artificial beach and with its drainage system and filter blankets had given them a fair idea of, of where a flood tunnel would run. So they decided to try and intercept and block the main tunnel rather rather than attempt any further work on the artificial beach at Smith Cove. Cove. Drawing a line from the point where the beach drains seemed to converge back to the money pit itself, they selected a likely-looking point on that line, and they began to dig down. The interceptor shaft, we know, should meet the flood tunnel at a depth considerably less than the presumed junction with the money pit at 110 you know, feet, after which the lower course of the flood tunnel could be blocked. 30, 40, 50 feet, the interceptor shaft cut deeper and deeper, just short of 80 feet, they gave up, right? Like uh, they missed it. You know, why, how, how it couldn't be this deep and still connect with the 95 foot level. Uh, so you see what they're trying to do now. They're trying to like, so you got the, you got your pit straight down on the Island. You got this, this other flood tunnel coming 45 degree angling from the ocean down to fill up your tunnel, uh, your shaft with water. But if you could intercept it with a separate straight down tunnel, you know, before, before the water makes it to your tunnel, the, the money pit tunnel, then you could fill up that second tunnel and hopefully block the, the flood tunnel. And then you'd have a dry pit to dig down in. I guess that's there's the, there's the logic. But again, what the fuck? Let me get this straight. The main problem is that the money pit and the other shafts getting flooded. You discover that original people who buried the treasure had built a dam to block the ocean and then dug flood tunnels that connected with the main shaft to flood the lower levels, some kind of treasure cavern. And the shaft itself, you build your own dam to keep water from accessing those tunnels, which would then give you the ability to drain the money pit of water and keep more water from coming in. You know, give you the ability to dig wherever you want without any kind of water problems until you find the treasure. But you build a shitty dam. And the tide washes away. And you don't think, let's just build a better dam again, because this is clearly the most important thing that we can do. No, you think we, we can't afford that. What we can't afford, though, is just to dig another giant shaft and, and hopefully just intercept the flood tunnels going to the beach. I, I'm no excavator or tunnel builder or miner or anything, but all of this just seems really illogical. You know, and you just built the dam once. Why couldn't I just, why couldn't you do it again? That makes, and this makes no sense to me. Uh, <laughs> And then apparently they did find a flood tunnel. They found, apparently they found it, but they weren't able to plug it or divert it, and everything just flooded again. And the money pit convinced yet another crew to give up. Okay, so now, now we jump ahead another 12 years to 1861. A new organization, the Oak Island Association, is inaugurated in April 1861. Adam, uh, Adam Tupper and Jefferson McDonald are veterans of 1849 and the 1850 Truro expeditions, as was John or Jotham McCulley, uh, their leader, Samuel Reddy and James McNutt, their secretary, treasurer, and official log keeper, were, were new to Oak Island work. John Smith, the last of the original explorers, had conveyed his Oak Island land to his sons, Thomas and Joseph, before he died, so all the original three guys are dead now. The boys sold it to Henry Stevens, and he in turn sold it to Anthony Graves, who consequently became the major landowner of Oak Island. And he made a deal with Reddy's organization, which entitled him to a third of any treasure they salvaged. All right, you don't do anything. Silent partner. Give me a third. I like it. Uh, the Oak Island Association began its work with two clear objectives in mind. Based on the discoveries and disappointments of 1849 and 1850, they were determined to block off the flood tunnel from the artificial beach at Smith's Cove and then pump out the money pit. They were convinced that a sufficiently large workforce would allow uh, them to accomplish both tasks with comparative ease and simplicity. Okay. All right. Someone with a somewhat logical plan, right? No. Actually, more idiots. They decide not to rebuild the dam. They decide not to keep the ocean from flowing back into the flood tunnels. They decide to dig another interceptor, interceptor shaft to try and connect with the flood tunnel and keep from reaching the money pit. And they dig 120 feet down and miss the flood tunnel. And then they finally decide to build the dam. No, right? That's what they're going to do? No. Uh, just fucking build it already. 
Nope, they want to dig another interceptor shaft. These guys just loved shafts, man. And then this shaft collapses on them. And then they dig again. And then the tunnel's flooded again. And they keep going. They acquire a steam engine uh, that an engineer hooked up to an apparatus to pump water out of the pit. And, and this engine uh, bursts, killing one man and injuring others. Right? So now they're going to, now finally you'd think, let's go build a dam. This is not working our plan. Nope. Just, they just keep digging more shafts. Right? They just keep getting more floods, more, more holes, more water. And then finally they give up. 1866 is the next venture. And it's the Oak Island El Dorado Company now, founded in May of 1866. You know, one of the guys that uh, organized this was that A.O. Creighton. Remember, remember him? He's a dipshit that ran the book bindery in Halifax, the one that supposedly wore out the fucking treasure message like a jackass. <laughs> well, before, before he did that, he used this stone to attract new investors to the dig. Of course he did. He used, used a fake rock. To convince stupid people to part with their money. Well, to AO's credit, the team he puts together, they build a fucking dam to keep water from flowing into the money pit. Finally, they build one 400 feet long and 12 feet high. Water was completely cleared from inside it. And then, the, and then an unexpected storm hit. And the dam broke again. Oh, man. If only these assholes were half as good at building dams as they were at digging shafts. <laughs> right? Ah, uh, their shaft game. So, so much stronger than their dam game. Well, after the dam disaster... They get one of those poor, uh, one of those pod augers again, a special drill that can bore down and retrieve little clues. Uh, sorry, uh, at the 130 foot deep level, they find charcoal, coconut fiber, uh, wood fragments, chole, coconut, and wood. You know, it has to be treasure, right? That's the that's the three signs. Uh, the old the old cold coconut and wood trifecta. That's that's what you use to hide treasures. Ah, matey, go fetch me some charcoal, you scurvy dog, and some coconut. Uh, blast me timbers, I could use some coconut and charcoal to bury my shiny treasure. And and some, some wood, which, with nothing but charcoal and coconuts and wood, will build the best treasure pit any pirate's ever built. And it's hundreds of feet down, very intricate, with nothing but charcoal and coconut and wood. Built on the seven or twelve or, or, or four seas, or my name isn't Alabaster Coconut Wood. Well, they dig all the way down, 150 feet, and that's all, and that's all they find. And it's 1867, they give up. No treasure, just coconut, charcoal, and wood. 1878, there was not another dig on Oak Island, but a strange occurrence happened that'll be important to our, to our tale today. Sophia Sellers uh, was, plow, was plowing with some oxen on the little island, just 100 yards from the money pit, when suddenly the earth opened up underneath her, underneath the terrified animals. They crashed down into a 10-foot hole. You know, they almost bring Sophia down on top of them. Oh, so I guess she wasn't quite over it. Just the oxen were. She got lucky. So just the oxen dumped into this hole. You know, she was able to, to let go uh, of the reins. With a great deal of struggling, her husband, Henry, and several more brawny Nova Scotians, they finally get the oxen bucket back out of the hole. At the first convenient opportunity, Henry fills it with boulders and as a safety measure. You know, just put some boulders and some dirt on there. So is this a, what is this, a sinkhole? Right? Is it the result of all those shafts being dug? Is the earth getting a little Swiss cheese underneath there? Is it a clue towards getting the treasure? I think it's just an important thing to think about for later. Uh, n- no one took any further notice of this, uh, of this, you know, sunken, this, this whole kind of just opening up out of nowhere until Fred Blair came along the scene in 1893. He was a nephew of Isaac Blair, who had worked on the island in the 1860s, and he had told young Fred as much as he knew of the money pit mystery. Fred's first line of attack was to amass all the written material he could find pertaining to earlier work on the island, which is probably two or three sentences. No. Uh, and he had to interview all the personnel he could locate who had been involved in those earlier investigations. Many previous attempts had failed, but modern technology now made it possible to succeed. In 1893, Blair and his associates inaugurated the Oak Island Treasure Company. Uh, 
In their prospectus, they said that a, a shaft 13 feet across and 100 feet deep had been sunk on Oak Island before the memory of any now living. All right, this vertical shaft was connected to the sea by a tunnel several hundred feet long, and at the shaft's base lay large wooden boxes of jewels and precious metals. The plan was to concentrate on cutting off water from the flood tunnel at some point near the shore, again with the interceptor shafts, after which it was assumed that there would be no difficulty in pumping out the money pit itself. Blair's new company received such encouraging financial backing that it was able to begin work in 1894. These guys are are so full of shit. At the shaft's base lay large wooden boxes of jewels and precious metals. Says who? What evidence is there of that? An engraved stone tablet that no one can find? Right? That stopped being engraved at some point. Some tiny scraps of gold chain, gold, gold chains that came out of an auger, you know, a, a gold chain that probably belonged to one of the people working on uncovering buried treasure. Probably someone dropped a pocket wash or something. And then, and then the auger pulled up a little bit of the chain. Some, some dude who may or may not have pocketed something, you know, there's that part of the story, but no one ever saw what it was. What evidence is there of treasure? None. But, you know, back to digging they go. And, and what this new crew uh, did find after years of more holes and inevitable flooding, what did they find? They found a tiny little ball of parchment that bore the letters V and I or something similar, possibly Roman numerals V and I. That's it. Something that, again, I think could have fallen from a worker. With all the holes dug over the years, all the people come in and out, uh, you know, at the end of the 19th century, it's now like the worst crime scene ever. Right? There's just been so many people traipsing in and out of this place. Uh, has the parchment since been really, you know, kept caref- carefully preserved and and uh, carefully dated by historians? I don't, I don't think it has. And I, <laughs> I couldn't find out where it is today. In December of 1900, a man of uh, named Fred Blair took over the Oak Island dig. He partnered with a flamboyant adventure out of New York City with a background in engineering, Captain Henry Bowdoin. Uh, 1909, and the captain made bold claims about how he'd succeed where others, you know, he'd succeeded where others had failed. You know, in previous endeavors, and he convinced numerous investors to finance another dig of his, including getting $5,000 out of a young lawyer by the name of Franklin D. Roosevelt, FDR, whose wife, Eleanor, would be Monday suck. And on August 27th, 1909, the, the Captain Bowdoin uh, and his entourage set up Camp Kidd, right, like as in the pirate William Kidd, on Oak Island. And if all had gone as predicted, you know, they were scheduled to have been sailing home with their share of the treasure on or before September 11th. Just in and out, guys. Let's get in and out of there. And they show up. They drill about 30 holes. They blow some shit up with dynamite. They find nothing, and they leave. (laughs) And the island was again silent until 1931. 1931, William Chappelle, uh, who had once been out of uh, one of the managers of Blair's Oak Island Treasure Company, uh, part owner of Chappelle's Limited, with premises in Sydney, Nova Scotia, Chappelle's was prosperous enough to allow William and three other members of his family, uh, his son Mel, other relatives, Claude and Renwick, or, or Renwick, to launch an Oak Island project in conjunction with him, or excuse me, with Blair. William himself had been involved in the drilling work over 30 years before when the parchment fragment had been recovered, you know, allegedly. Uh, Mel was a qualified engineer, member of the Canadian Institute. He, he talked through the problem with professional colleagues, and the consensus was that a well-cribbed shaft would be their best approach. An electric pump capable, an electric pump capable of shifting between 400 and 500 gallons a minute was brought in to hold down the water level. The Chappelle's first problem, though, was the exact location of the money pit. You know, Bowdoin had butchered most of the older structures with all his dynamiting and fucking loosey-goosey drilling, including the cribbing and drilling platforms with the passing of 20 years and more. Uh, or And more, uh, most of the earlier re-excavations had collapsed. So many holes had been dug over the years, it was just hard to figure out where the original shaft was. They basically had to play a game of whose shaft is this? Whose old, worn-out shaft am I playing with right now? Whose forgotten, neglected shaft am I working on right now? 
Whose wet shaft is this? What shaft do I have my hands on? Uh, they dug uh, into a variety of old shafts, the 120 and 160 foot levels. Uh, that you know, at those levels down, they encountered some old tools and timbers. They're most likely relics from earlier expeditions. It's another problem with Oak Island now. There's, yeah, they find shit, but they just find shit that, that other treasure hunters had lost. Further samples of coconut fiber were unearthed. Uh, no significant progress was made towards cutting off the floodwater. 1932, they hired John Talbot, an engineer from New York, to do some additional site work. His team drilled for two months, reaching depths of 150 feet down, and, but found nothing. Uh, other, other than uh, uh, some old pieces of timber bearing Roman numerals. Right? What does that mean? Did he really find him? Where are they now? Who knows? Uh, 1960, uh, by 1937, excavations again are abandoned. 1938, a new adventure took over recovery options on Oak Island. A man named Professor Hamilton, who spent an estimated $60,000 picking around on the island between 1938 and 1943, only to find nothing again. 1950, a weird-looking machine uh, bulging with what appeared to be scientific circuitry <laughs> was brought to Oak Island in December. Uh, its inventor told Mel Chappelle that there was a large deposit of gold within 20 feet of the surface. He indicated an area only 50 yards from the original money pit. Right, Chappelle paid to have a, a the huge uh, a huge steam powered earth mover brought in to the island, and he paid for a vast hole to be dug in the area that the gold finder machine had indicated. Nothing of value came out. Of course, it didn't. Uh, the machine indicated uh, other locations, and Chappelle paid to have drillings carried out in those areas. Nothing of any value was encountered. The work cost him nearly $40,000. I just love these two dipshits with a weird machine. Wait, wait, where does the machine say it is now? Well, why didn't the machine find it earlier? I don't know. You know, it's crazy. I thought for sure, you know, a weird machine with wires sticking out all over it would find treasure. I, I would love to meet the mad scientist who made that piece of shit, you know. What does this machine do again? Why, it's a gold finder. And and what are your credentials? What type of education allowed you to build this? Uh, why it's it's but it's it's a, it's a gold it's a gold finder. Yeah, you said that. Uh, and, and if it works, why am I why am I hiring you? If this thing can just find gold, why aren't you out just buying raw land all around the country and just using your magic machine to suck all the gold out and just make a fortune, you know, of your own every week? Uh, well, because it's a it's 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 a gold finder. Yeah, I can get the fuck out of here. Uh, okay, George Green a burly cigar-chewing Texas oilman. He did a deal with Chappelle in 1955 to find the treasure. He's the next next part of the tale. Uh, Green's theory was that whatever was buried on the island had come originally from Spanish South American sources, probably dated back to the 16th century. And he had a lot of other, other info he also pulled out of his ass. Uh, the brawny Texan eventually left Oak Island to take on a new drilling contract in Louisiana. All right, he, he's going to put off uh, Oak Island, even though there's all this you know Spanish Spanish treasure there. He's, he's going to get some oil in Louisiana. And uh, and his deal with Chappelle ran out. The pressure of the Louisiana contract and some later work kept Green away from the money pit, and then he never had a chance to return. He was murdered in British Guyana, while taking part in geological work there in December of 1962. Maybe Jim Jones. Maybe Jim Jones had something to do with it. I can't remember if he was down there exactly that time, but I know it was roughly that time. Actually, he was not down there at that time. <laughs> never mind. It wasn't Jim Jones. It was Lucifina. Damn it. If he'd only been given the opportunity to dig so many more shafts, think of, think of the amount of shafts he could have got his hands on. 1959 brought the next batch of treasure hunters, and their tale is a sad one. Uh, Robert, especially sad. These are all kind of sad. They've all ended in disappointment so far. This one ends in, in worse. Uh, Robert and Mildred Restel married in 1931 when she was a 17-year-old ballerina, and he was on tour as a young stunt motorcycle rider. Right? They're an interesting couple. They developed their thrilling Globe of Death Act together and toured it through Europe and North America for over 20 years. 
right? I've seen those. Uh, when I was, saw one of those when I was a kid. Not you know, obviously theirs, but saw one of those where like like the guys in the motorcycles just like you know they go upside down going around this like inside this uh, kind of circular cage, globe shaped cage. In 1955, they they visited Oak Island after performing nearby, and Robert met George Green, who gave him an account of the Money Pit mystery. After Green and the Harmon brothers abandoned their attempts and left the island, Robert prevailed upon a group of friends to provide the necessary minimal financial support to add to his own life savings. Ugh, that's never good. I'm going to take my life savings and give it, get, you know, use it for pirate treasure hunt. And they start to dig up again. And in 1959, he goes to work. He and his family put in a ton of work over the next five years. They find nothing, same old story. And then in 1965, real tragedy strikes. On August 17th, 1965, Robert used a, he was using a, a small gasoline engine pump rigged above the shaft, running continuously. Uh, and as a result, there was only a few feet of water in the, in the bottom of the shaft he was, he was drying out. And then for, for reasons unknown to history, uh, and, and this shaft couldn't have been that deep or, or, or the story would make sense, uh, he, he falls into the shaft. And his young son, Bobby, sees him fall in, races over to help. He's screaming you know, for somebody to help him. He, he starts going down this ladder to try and you know, get his motionless father laying in the water below back out. So it couldn't have been too far down, or I think he would just the dad would just be dead. But he starts to climb down the ladder uh, into the tunnel, and then, and then he also falls into the shaft. And then Robert's friend and, and partner, Carl Gracer, arrives in response. You know, he'd heard Bobby shouting before Bobby fell in. So he tries to go down there, and then he falls in. So now there's three, three people down there in the bottom of the shaft. And then another family friend helping with the dig, 16-year-old Cyril Hiltz, he tries to climb down to the water, with, you know, and then he falls in, right? Now there's four people down there. A fifth restal helper, Andy DeMont, he also scrambles down the ladder, and he fucking falls into it. So now five fucking people have fallen into this shaft. I'm not making up this story. And then a man named Captain Ed White, a New York City firefighter, tourist, visiting the island, he realizes some sort of toxic gas is, is you know, there's a leak over there. There's methane seeping from the shaft. There's carbon monoxide from the, from the gas pump's engine knocking everybody out. Something's going on. So with the help of other volunteers, he gets over there. He is able to rescue Andy, the fifth guy to fall in. But the other four people, they die. So the Restle's dig ends in, in an insane tragedy. But the tragedy does not stop the search. Right away, on October 17th, 1965, the next digger shows up, Californian geologist Bob Dunfield. And he goes big. He builds a causeway linking the island to the mainland. It's no longer really an island now. right? He could drive uh, heavy equipment over to the island now, you know, such as a crane with a 90-foot arm. He could drive that out to the money pit. He, he brings in giant excavators. Tears away the beach looking for flood tunnels. He created a hole at the side of the money pit uh, 100 feet across, almost 50 feet deep. So he's just fucking making huge holes on the island now. He digs the old cave-in pit. Remember the sinkhole where the oxen you know, fell down? He digs that down to a depth of 100 feet, right? He, he's just digging big-ass holes all over there, big old craters. And then he arranges for the excavated earth to be examined, Right, he has all this earth he's moved, and he, and he just examines all of that, you know, and sifters and things, and, and he finds fragments of 17th century pottery, some 17th century China. That's it. All that earth, that's it. And by the spring of 1966, he gives up after burning through 150 grand. In 1959, another day group, Triton Alliance, is formed. In 1970, Golder and Associates of Toronto, widely recognized as leading specialists in geological engineering, they conduct a definitive survey of the island for Triton Alliance. You know, they give their opinion that a complicated labyrinth, a perplexing mixture of man-made workings and natural formations probably exists below Oak Island. The more explorations are made, uh, and more extensive these strange underworkings uh, seem to be. Uh, one of Triton's significant discoveries takes place in 1970 in what is now known as Borehole 10X. 
the the Bowmaster Drilling Company took uh, takes it down 230 feet. The shaft uh, under Dan Blankenship's instructions, they they blow compressed air down the hole to bring up anything of interest in the material loosened by the drill. Thin metal scrapings, uh, which rapidly oxidize on exposure to air. Lengths of old wire, fragments of chain come up between 160 and 170 foot levels. I'm guessing that's just I don't know, shit people lost in previous diggings. So many interesting and inexplicable finds were being made uh, in 10X that Triton wisely decided to enlarge it sufficiently to admit an underwater television camera. They reinforced it. This this uh, shaft is still there. And uh, watching the tape, which uh, you know, there's, a, there's a camera, I guess, recording things down there. I guess it's an eerie, perplexing experience, according to one writer. But like, you know, so okay, like so many other important Oak Island clues, it's, it... it uh, falls short of providing final and kind of absolute proof of exactly what is down there, how it got there. The tape apparently showed uh, passages with well-defined corners and rectangular apertures, which seem more likely to have been the work of man than the work of nature. Later photographs taken uh, in exploratory uh, missions with this thing find a find a, a well-preserved human corpse and uh, a sealed compartment full of salt water, and excluding you know the air, I guess would be capable of preserving human remains for centuries. They find a hand, apparently too crazy, right? All this fucking wild video and photography. So where is it? Well, the video's gone. This mysterious video cannot be found, and and the photos uh, are shit, right? Like like you read these articles and they say like, oh yeah, then there's like you know these these photos of what you know, obviously is a, a human corpse, well preserved even. No, it's just fucking. It reminds me of uh, uh, ultrasound photos, where just like, but not even that good, like grainy weird images that might be something you know that's it and 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 you yeah it 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 just looks like absolute horseshit uh the trident alliance continues to dig on the island going far down is 590 feet jesus hitting gray slate bedrock who's fucking burying something hundreds of years ago 600 feet beneath the ground uh they find nothing uh, in 1987, the borehole 10x shaft is lined with concrete down to bedrock at 180 feet. So it's really reinforced now. Uh, if you watch that, that that Oak Island, you know, show on History Channel, you've seen this shaft. Uh, but they find nothing of tunnels, artifacts, or treasure. Triton Alliance seeks to raise $10 million now to solve the mystery once and for all. They propose excavating an 80-foot diameter line shaft at the money pit down to about 220 feet, pumping water from four pumping stations. A coffer dam is going to be built at Smith's Cove to keep the water out of the flood tunnel. Huge coffer dam at South Shore Cove to keep water from the uh, uh, second flood, flood tunnel that you know some of the diggers assumed there is. 1991, Trident Alliance are still trying to raise money for their plan. They apply to Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agency uh, for $12 million, and they're turned down. Of course they are. Uh, if you go to the website for the Atlantic Canada Opportunities Agency, uh, the agency defines itself as an agency that works to create opportunities for economic growth in Atlantic Canada by helping businesses become more competitive, innovative, and productive, by working with diverse communities to develop and diversify local economies, and by championing the strengths of Atlantic Canada. It's a place for you to get help if you're a Canadian citizen or an entrepreneur, you know, and you're looking to launch a local small business, or, you know, I guess it doesn't have to be small, but local business. You want to get guidance and some startup capital, and I love that these idiots <laughs> wanted to use that to fund a treasure hunt. Right? The people of the agency must still have a good laugh about that. I wish I'd have been there, you know, when they're going over that that day. What's what's on the roster uh, for today's proposals, eh? Well, we got a donut shop in Lunenburg that would like to get going. They're looking for fifteen thousand. Might be might be nice to give a local something. It's not Tim Hortons. And we got a guy looking for five thousand dollars, looking to get his taxidermy shop set up. Uh, might want to throw some loonies, couple toonies after that, eh? Uh, is that all? No, uh, no, we got uh, the Oak Island guys. They're looking for twelve million uh, to dig an ever bigger hole that the you know then bigger than a hundred or so holes that have already been dug there over the past two hundred years. It turned up nothing, so they they want they want twelve mil for that. 
Uh, yeah, I'm thinking the donut shop warrants the most consideration, eh? Thinking we go with the donut shop. Yeah, in 2001. Uh, yeah, they don't get that fucking grant. Of course not. In 2001, a man named Ron uh, Aston, he drills more holes on Oak Island, finds nothing again. 2006, the majority of the island was sold to the brothers Rick and Marty Lagina, right, from Kingsford, Michigan. You know, the stars of the Curse of Oak Island on the History Channel, who along with Dan and David Blankenship, they form Oak Island Tourism Incorporated. Now, Dan and David Blankenship are a father and son team who now live on the island. Dan moved his family to the island after reading a story in 1965 about the money pit in Reader's Digest. Jesus Christ. Reads a story in Reader's Digest about supposedly buried treasure and things. Good enough for me. Reader's Digest, you know. The esteemed academic science journal <laughs> has alluded to the possibility of buried treasure in Canada. So how about I give, up, I give up my career and move my entire family to Nova Scotia from Florida? Uh, Rick is a retired U.S. postal worker from northern Michigan who has dreamed of solving the Oak Island mystery since he first read about it in January 1965, reader, uh, issue of Reader's Digest. He, too, saw that same Reader's Digest article when he was 11 years old. Uh, Reader's Digest, what have you done to these people? Marty is, is Rick's uh, younger brother, has shared the dream of solving the Oak Island mystery with him since their adventurous childhood in northern Michigan. He's an engineer who owns his own energy business, and all, all four of these wackadoodles are, yeah, are the star of the History Channel show, The Curse of Oak Island. Okay, in season one, in 2014, a diver in the swamp of Oak Island finds a mysterious Spanish coin. Uh, season two, also in 2014, they find nothing. Uh, they also talk to various lunatics who regurgitate a variety of wackadoodle theories I'll discuss in a bit. In season three, 2015, they speak with more lunatics, including a man who claims <laughs> that Aztecs May have went way up there and visited the island and buried something in some intricate labyrinth of tunnels. Sure, fucking why not? Uh, maybe if they dig far enough, they'll find uh, Bigfoot's lair. Maybe that's what's buried there, right? Maybe Bigfoot's lair. Or maybe it's a secret fortress of the Lizard Illuminati. Uh, at the end of Season 3 in 2016, after finding nothing, relatives of the original Oak Island hunters present a gold cross, which is said to have come from the treasure. I'm going to address that in a second, what I think about that. In Season 4, they, they start to look at the, at the possibility that the Knights Templar Knights Templar, Knights Templar, had something to do with the mystery. A theory I will address soon. A theory about ink gold being buried on the island is presented. February 2017 season finale excavation leads to scrap metal pieces, a washer, and several hex nuts being found. Ooh, clearly shit from earlier excavations. The gold cross and other random artifacts are uh, evaluated by an antiques appraiser. And then, uh, as just uh, as just a few days ago, on December 12th, episode six of season five, Rick discovers a rash he has. And finds out he has Lyme disease. Not kidding. And that takes us to the present and out of this Time Star timeline. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. Okay, so to recap, no one has found shit on Oak Island that is historically historically significant or can be verified and substantiated. The gold cross from the reality show, not having seen it, not having seen the you know the clip where it was found because uh, I'm going to call bullshit and I'm going to tell you why. I worked on a lot of reality shows. I wrote reality, quote unquote, that the general public uh, believed to be true. That was utter horseshit. It's my it's my greatest career regret. Actually, uh, I had fun working. I liked the, my coworkers, some of them there, but oh man, I, I hated the medium. Reality TV is fucking horseshit. I can say that with absolute certainty. I've been behind the curtain. I worked with a producer who was a showrunner for numerous ghost hunter type shows, and he told me he planted all the evidence on every one of the shows he did. None of it was legit. All the weird noises, the apparitions, creepy little artifacts, all bullshit. They would just get at fucking antique places and stuff and, you know, add spooky music and, you know, film it at night with the, with the, with the green night vision goggles and just make it look scary. It's all fucking make-believe. 
And without working on the curse of Oak Island, I would bet my actual life that they're making shit up. They're planning things to keep viewers interested. They're planning that fucking gold cross. You know, there was a, there was a Roman sword showed up in another episode. They found off the coast. Bullshit. Uh, producer planted that too. I, I guarantee it is either fucking fake or real uh, that they got a hold of, but then planted it. I know these type of guys. I know how these shows get made too well. Fake, 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 fake. Uh, the cross without seeing it. Yeah, man, there's, there's no way it was actually dug up uh, in one of those Oak Island gigs. There's no fucking way. Uh, these storage wars, pawn rally, you know, or pawn shop rally shows, these people bringing in super interesting items, it's all set up by producers. Experts evaluating the items, a lot of them not experts, a lot of them actors, or just fucking maniacs with no credentials who want to, you know, tell people that they're an expert, and then some just producer not getting paid very much just goes, yeah, yeah, fucking great, man, that's what you say you are? Fine. They don't fact check stuff. Get, Get out of here. They don't fact check anything on these shows. Uh, so I'm going to go Babe Ruth, call my shot right now. No one will ever find treasure on this show. No real find will ever happen because if it did, uh, then real investigators would come in and examine the story and make the production company and the talent look like the pretenders they actually are, right? If, if, if like they acted like they found real treasure, then somebody would examine it and be like, no, this isn't, this isn't from here. Okay. And, and, and why don't I feel like they'll find anything just even outside of the reality show? Let, let's get into that. I've been living in the world of Oak Island the past couple of days. Let's start off with the pirate thing, okay? As I said earlier, uh, no buried treasure, no chest of gold buried into the earth in some complex labyrinth of booby traps, booby traps, goonies, uh, has ever been found. And, and if they had buried treasure on Oak Island, there, there are the William Kidd rumors. The treasure would have been found. Pirates were, you know, were not engineers. They didn't do complex digs. They specialized in ocean heists. You know, they were good at fighting on land a lot of times, too. They were mercenaries, private soldiers, sailors, navigators, boat builders, thieves. They weren't dam-building, booby-trap lanes, shaft diggers, right? There was no historical precedent for any type of pirate ever doing anything that complex, anything on that level, you know, that, they, that they're thinking that they have done on Oak Island. And, and which pirate did it? There, well, there's no evidence that any pirate ever stepped on, on Oak Island. It's all rumors. You know, let's start with William Kidd. He was born around 1645, hanged in 1701. He was a successful privateer from 1689 to 1691, you know, fighting the French. No records of him heading anywhere near Nova Scotia. He was spending time as a pirate around Madagascar. You now they found treasure, a little on sea floor, but nothing buried. Madagascar, long way from Nova Scotia. He made his money in the Indian Ocean and the Caribbean, not the North Atlantic. The odds that he uh, even heard of Oak Island are incredibly small. A variety of other pirates are rumored to have buried treasure uh, at Oak Island, and I'm not, not going to go through any of their stories because they have no credibility. There's no evidence. Just, you know, hey, what about Sir Henry Morgan? He stole gold in Panama. He could have done it. Yeah, yeah, I guess he fucking could have in the sense that any pirate whose where, whereabouts weren't documented for every day of their pirating adventures, you know, theoretically somehow I guess could have made it there. Uh, another name that floats around a lot with Oak Island is Sir Francis Drake. Uh, Drake, born around 1540, 1544, Devonshire, England, was involved in piracy, illicit slave trading before being chosen in 1577 as the leader of an expedition, intended to pass around South America through the Strait of Magellan, explore the coast that lay beyond. Drake successfully completed the journey. He was knighted by Queen Elizabeth I upon his triumphant return. 1588, he saw action in the English defeat of the Spanish, Spanish Armada. Uh, he died in 1596 in dysentery. He was the first Englishman to circumnavigate the world. The treasure he captured made him a wealthy man. The queen knighted again, knighted him. You know, uh, he was he was appointed a member of the House of Commons. And then there's this there's these strange rumors about him in, in weird corners of the web that he <laughs> he also was the real author of Shakespeare's plays. 
And, and these rumors are supported by uh, zero legitimate historians or investigative journalists. But somehow, there, you know, there's a wild theory that he buried proof that he had written the plays of Shakespeare on the Oak Island. Fuck, why? What, so long after he died, the world could be like, oh, hey, man, Shakespeare didn't write those plays, Sir Francis Drake did, and then just fucking move on with their lives. I mean, I guess it would be a big story, but you're going to be fucking dead, so, so what do you care? <laughs> like, he, he wasn't claiming that in life. Why, why was it not important at all for him to claim that in life, but then suddenly very important for, like, very, very important for him to want everybody to know that after he dies? You know, that he's the guy who wrote Romeo and Juliet. And, and why, are, why, why do people believe this? Well, because fucking people believe anything. Right? There are people out there who just so many people are so fucking gullible. It's insane to me. Right? They believe that space lizards control, <laughs> control the government because they, they watch a shitty YouTube video. And if you can believe that, you can believe anything. That's why we have to keep learning. Why, why we have to stay truly curious and be critical thinkers, not just let the world completely devolve into utter lunacy. Ah, it can clearly go there. And then there's the rumors about the Knights Templar. You know, right? The Knights Templar was a large organization of devout Christians with a mission to protect European travelers visiting sites in the Holy Land while also carrying out brave military operations. They were a wealthy, powerful, mysterious medieval order. They fascinated historians and the public for centuries, right? I'm sure we'll do a time check on them eventually. You know, their military prowess, their work on behalf of Christianity. Any of these stories still circulate throughout modern culture around 1118. A French knight named Hugh de Pains uh, created a military order uh, along with eight relatives and acquaintances. Sorry if I pronounced his name wrong. Calling it the poor fellow soldiers of Christ in the Temple of Solomon, later known simply as the Knights Templar. Well, with the support of Pope Baldwin II, the ruler of Jerusalem, they set up headquarters on that city's sacred Temple Mount, from which they took their name and, and uh, pledged to protect Christian visitors to Jerusalem. In 1139, Pope Innocent II uh, issued a papal bull that allowed the Knights Templar special rights. Among them, the Templars were exempt from paying taxes, permitted to build their own oratories, held to no one's authority except the Pope. So they were, you know, a powerful organization. They set a prosperous network of banks. Gained enormous financial influence. Their banking system allowed religious pilgrims to deposit assets in their home country and then withdraw funds in the Holy Land. The order became known for its austere code of conduct and signature style of dress, which featured a white habit emblazoned with a simple red cross. Members swore an oath of poverty, chastity, and obedience. They weren't allowed to drink, gamble, or swear. Prayer was essential to their daily life. The Templars expressed particular adoration for the Virgin Mary as they grew in size and status, you know, established new chapters throughout Western Europe, and at the height of their influence, they boasted a sizable fleet of ships. They owned the Mediterranean island of Cyprus, you know, uh, you know, served as a primary bank and lending institution to European monarchs and nobles. I mean, they were fucking powerful. They built castles. They fought, won battles against Muslim armies, you know, and I, and I could go on again, but they're worthy of their own suck, perhaps even a two-parter. But suffice to say, there were some badass dudes who had an unusual place in history. They were a religious organization. They got to do what they wanted, you know, they were mysterious, they were influential, they weren't under the authority of any king or queen, they answered to the Pope, and it was rumored that they had found special, powerful religious artifacts, like the, like the Holy Grail, the Ark of the Covenant, you know, items of supposed mystical power that could do things like turn the tides of war. And they didn't want these things to fall into the wrong hands, so they took a secret trip across the Atlantic, hundreds of years before Columbus, and buried these items far under the earth at Oak Island. Okay, uh, fuck, sure, that could happen in the same vein of, you know, thinking that Bigfoot, you know, could have a lair there. In the same vein of thinking that fucking lizard people could have a base there. You know, aliens are doing some shit there. <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know, maybe they didn't even travel over by boat, the Knights Templar. Maybe they rode a kraken over. Maybe they tamed and rode a kraken across the sea. Maybe they flew in a fucking dragon. You know, whatever. Maybe a hobbit took them over on jet skis. Why not? Uh, there's a bunch of other crazy, you know, fucking theories. There's, like Atlantis, you know, citizens of Atlantis buried treasure there. You know, if you listen to Time Suck 43, the lost city of Atlantis, you know that there's very little chance that ever existed even. 
Uh, there's theories about aliens doing it, you know, American Indian civilizations. We don't even know about hidden money there. There's a Viking tomb. That's what it is. It's a Viking tomb. The Vikings are over there. Well, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't think anyone buried anything. And here's why. Let's talk about limestone. Geologists have determined that the ground underneath Oak Island, primarily limestone and anhydrite, uh, uh, anhydrite, excuse me. And again, fucking busy, busy week. Did not have time for my pronunciation. So fucking please send in corrections if I'm making mistakes. Uh, The conditions in which natural caves are usually formed, conditions that create sinkholes like the one that Sophia Sellers fell into with her oxen in 1878. So, you know, the original sunken ground of the money pit may have just been another one of those sinkholes. You know, with all the flooding of the shafts, well, maybe it's just because, you know, of this weird network of caves and things under the, under the island, this cottage cheese type of, you know, network, the, the various pockets in the limestone. Uh, so that's so that's a problem with, uh, you know, buried treasure even being there. And then let's talk about secondhand sources. All the accounts of those early digs, you know, where they're like, I think they did this, and I think they did that. They're all secondhand sources, you know, and, and that's where all the accounts come from of finding like, you know, wooden platforms and, you know, river stone at various depths. We're just relying on these secondhand sources to be legit. Primary sources, you know, offer firsthand knowledge of something, journals, letters, you know, photographs, videos, autobiographies. Now, secondhand sources are just more speculative. They're, they can be articles, you know, written about the people who may be the primary sources of the story, you know. Uh, and sometimes though, they're just based on other secondhand stories. Like, like one author will say that so-and-so did X, Y, and Z because maybe they heard that at a tavern. You know, someone's like, "Hey, man, my friend, you know, he he did this and he found this at the uh, at the tavern, and or or it could even be worse than that. It could be like, you know, my friend told me that his grandpa's buddy, for fifty years ago, found a, a wooden platform down there, and so that guy writes it down, and that's a you know kind of a shitty secondhand source, kind of hearsay. And then other people uh, just copy the first article that the first guy wrote about the secondhand source, and then they spread that. And so, and then pretty soon there's just all these articles out there, and, and none of them are like you know." They're not based on anything more than just like a, a random conversation or something, you know. They just and they just start copying from each other, and that's a problem. You know, that's a problem. <laughs> There's no primary sources for the early digs. You know, the companies who did the digs did not properly document their findings or even the location of the digs. You know, uh, so you know maybe they hit various artifacts at various depths, or, or maybe they didn't. Maybe they lied to get investors. You know, to give them money. We just we don't know. We'll never know. Uh, the first printed accounts of treasure hunting didn't appear uh, until 1861 in some British and Canadian newspapers, you know, almost 70 years after the first dig. So until until then, it was just a telephone game of just people talking shit, and then 70 years later, they write stuff down. Uh, the, the flood tunnels, the ones that kept filling all the shafts in the water, no one's ever actually found one, right? Not not in any kind of documented way. It's, again, it's just those secondhand sources from the early digs, all speculation that they even exist at all, all hearsay. The box drains, you know, that the flood tunnels get their water from, you know, those, those layers of coconut fibers and other materials found in the beach shallows, the charcoal and, and wood that was found. Well, you know, uh, most likely the evidence of, of beach salt operations. Coconut fiber was, was not exotic at all. Fishermen wouldn't have had any problem getting it. It was common packing material in the 18th and 19th centuries, kind of the way foam peanuts are today. And, uh, and, and why was it concealed in the way it was? Well, because salt was highly taxed in British America, and there was probably some poor fishermen just trying to avoid paying, paying the a tax toll. Right, and they had just created this little thing on the beach to fucking salt their fish. And finally, if there was ever uh, gold or treasure in Oak Island, it, in all likelihood, it would be gone by now. People did not bury treasure to not go get it later. You know, you don't put something. People aren't good at holding, hiding, you know, keeping secrets either. Even if the person died who hid the treasure, right? Odds are, other people knew about it. And, and if it was a huge operation to dig way down, it wasn't just one dude with the fucking shovel. There was a huge team of people, very doubtful that all those people were killed. All those people kept their secrets. No one talked about it. No one went back for something very important. Get the fuck out of there. Odds are 
If something was buried long before the first take in 1795, they went back and they got it. So there you go. So that's what I think. I think the Oak Island mystery is not a mystery at all. It's a shit show. It's generations of people who desperately want the story of their life to include finding buried treasure, which I get, man. I dreamed of finding buried treasure as a kid. It's a wonderful thought. I love Goonies. Finding a treasure map? How fucking cool would that be? Finding one-eyed willies, buried gold, and jewels? Sounds fun, man. Sounds really fun, man. Just Goonies never say die. Yeah. But then I grew up, and I realized I'd have much better odds winning the lottery. And I don't buy lottery tickets because those odds are shitty. But that's just what I think. And, I, and I've been known to be a buzzkill. Sorry about that. So let's look at fun possibilities to Oak Island. Let's look into a world where anything's possible, uh, no matter how fucking ignorant and wildly improbable it may be. Let's check in with the idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. internet. For today's idiots, I went to a YouTube video called Oak Island 90 Footstone Located. Forbidden Truth, Hidden History. Uploaded in June of 2015, has 688,000 views as of this moment, uploaded by the history heretic, Jovan Hunter Pulitzer. And here's the video description, and it's good. It says, the infamous 90-foot Oak Island stone has been located. In this telling, broadcast here all the facts not shared on the curse of Oak Island. Learn about the real symbols on the stone and why it was hidden. In the first place, there's a lot of random all caps. Is the stone a, all caps, tomb lock? Foreign, all caps again, ancient tomb in the depths of Oak Island? Where did this stone and its symbols come from, and what did the ancient Micmac natives know about the island? In all caps, who came there and when? And by the way, Micmac is horrifically misspelled. Uh, get the full, all caps, inside story of their actual presentation, right, of the Laginas and the Blankenships by expeditionhistory.org. New, never-before-released information. And based on the pics from the video, uh, this dude's been to the island and possibly, uh, well, actually he has been on the History Channel show, just briefly. Uh, there are a lot of pics of him and the cast members. And what is this 90-foot Oak Island stone he's talking about? What's well, the one I mentioned in the podcast that used to have the inscriptions on it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I Googled it just to see what else is out there about this stone other than this weird book I read for this episode and this guy talking about it. And the first website that comes up to reference the stone is a website called, I'm not kidding, lunaticoutpost.com. That's the name of the website, lunaticoutpost.com. The first link on the website is UFO over North Korea. Yeah. And, and just visiting the website almost crashed my computer. Seriously, it kept freezing up when I went to that one site. The second source listed is this YouTube video. And the comments and ratings are disabled. Damn it. But it sent me to another video by the same user, same poster. And, and comments were also disabled there. So I did some more digging on this Jovan Hutton Pulitzer. Who is he? Well, he's claimed, among other things, that uh, under Oak Island, the body of Hercules is buried in a hidden tomb. Hercules, you know, the biblical strongman. Uh-huh. Okay. God, I wish I would have found one video of his with comments enabled. It would have been gold. But what I did is I, I transcribed some of what he said in that first video because uh, he's the guy we need to focus on today. So really, today is actually more like an idiot of the internet, just one, just one idiot. He, he opens the video up with a slideshow, a big pumped-up music kind of opening, get you ready, and then he says, okay, folks, let's talk about this infamous 90-foot stone found at the 90-foot level, thus called the 90-foot stone, in the money pit on Oak Island. And he admits that, mm, ah, stone's missing. Dang it. Right? The one the bookbinder rubbed the inscription off, man. Just, oh, can't, can't find it. Damn it. Or can he find it? He says families of various treasure seekers have this stone and other artifacts and are keeping them secret because they think it'll be worth a lot of money down the road. What are you fucking talking about, Jovan? It's worth a lot now. It's worth the most right now. Right? If you had Oak Island actual treasure, you would reveal it right now unless you are a complete idiot. Right? Interest in Oak Island is the strongest it has ever been. 
right? You strike when there's heat, when there's interest. The History Channel, they themselves would pay so much for real evidence of real treasure right now. It's five seasons to do a show where they haven't had a payoff. And then after getting some of that History Channel money, you could sell it to a museum or a private collector, put it up for auction, right? Hold on to it, Maya. No one's holding on to shit. Then he, then he goes on to say that, you know what? He does know where the stone is. He knows that a family has it. And he is in active negotiations, right? He's in active negotiations with the family to bring it into the public eye. And by active negotiations, do, do you mean you're looking for a cheap but good forger to make this up, to build this, you fucking liar? Then he starts talking about the symbols he has seen personally on this stone. And he starts giving these weird stats, which I think uh, liars are good at. <laughs> I've done that when I just do bullshit stories. You just start throwing stats and people are like, oh, this sounds legit. At, at one point, he says that 53% of the symbols on the stone are Phoenician. What an exact number. 53% of the symbols are Phoenician. This guy, he's making it up as he goes along. Um, yeah, the stone is real, definitely. It's 30% Egyptian. Uh, it's 53% Phoenician because the Phoenicians and the Egyptians and the Toltecs. Uh, it's 70% Toltec. Uh, they're working together to create a Stargate, and it's important that they need uh, someone from each culture to be present at the Stargate opening so no one culture could bring dark matter potentially into our dimension uh, without the approval of the other cultures, you know, because there was a 14% chance that could happen. The stone is a key. Uh, it's an interdimensional key that allows uh, black hole machines to generate interstellar gateways to bounce between colors. You get a 85% of the color spectrum uh, in these gateways. Uh, do you understand how this relates to Oak Island? Here, let me take out a, a diagram. Uh, that I've I've stored up my ass, which is where I've been pulling all my information from, and then he talks about how he, he you know he he was uh, filmed for the show and, and he definitely was on there. I looked on IMDb and sure enough, he was on there, you know, listed in the Kirk of Oak, yeah, Curse of Oak Island cast in 2015. That's so sad to me. This guy's an utter maniac, and now he's on the History Channel, a channel that does not give a shit about historical accuracy. Change your name, History Channel, you fucking phonies, ancient aliens. The Curse of Oak Island, Pawn Stars, American Pickers, that's your channel lineup. You're supposed to be talking about history, you sellouts. You're like MTV, man. You're supposed to be about, you know, music videos. But when you figured out the Poly Shore, the weasel in the real world got better ratings, you know, out, out goes music. There goes the videos. And now, you know, nonsense bullshit artists have become more watchable, I guess, better for ratings, better for clickbait than actual historians talking about actual history, people who actually know shit, who have dedicated their lives to knowledge. And, and, and the History Channel has turned into what Spike TV was or whatever A&E is. So sad to me, man. A&E, History Channel, Discovery Channel, Learning Channel, Nat Geo. Those channels used to be ed edutainment. They had actual historians, actual experts talking about real events, discussing real people in a non-sensational way. And then came along the Kardashians and Duck Dynasty and Honey Boo Boo, and they just wanted ratings, right? And they just, everybody started dumbing it down for the masses. Well, not here. Fuck the idiots. I catered to that enough in plenty of the jobs I had before. I was part of the problem. Not anymore. Not on this one. Oh, man. Trying to be part of a part of a, part of a group of people now, you know, doing our best to, to reject this insulting anti-intellectualism. Fuck you, Joe Bond Hutton, you self-serving liar. You don't have access to the stone. You are, you are just a complete and total liar. You've never seen that stone. I bet again, I bet my life that you have never seen that stone. You are in active negotiations with no one. You are... You are in active negotiations with some other idiot of the internet. Idiots of the internet. 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 So that was a bit much, man. I'm just so sick of liars. Maybe I'm just cranky. You know, I'm looking forward to Monday suck of Eleanor Roosevelt. You know, someone who's a positive role model who did her best to be honest. You know, raise others up, raise things, raise society up, not just dumb it down. And, and sorry if I shit on the Oak Island mystery for you. I just, you know, I get so tired of these weird arguments people make. 
You know, like like there, there's all these arguments around Oak Island too that these you know civilizations existed thousands of years ago with advanced technology we don't understand or have access to today. They were able to build this booby-trapped, crazy underground layer that we just can't figure out. No, no. You know, and I'll, I'll argue with people. I argue with a person on a plane the other day. I'm like, no, man, it's like, no, they, they couldn't do things back then that we can't do now. And he went right to the pyramids. Well, then how could they build the pyramids? I mean, we couldn't even build those today. Yeah, we could. We just, we're not interested in building the pyramids today. You know, and we do know how they did it, by the way. A lot of people say like, we don't even know how they built the pyramids. Yeah, no, actually archaeologists have shown us how they built the pyramids, right? You just need, you just need thousands, tens of thousands of slaves, right? Slave labor and pulleys. Well, how did they make their lines so precise? We couldn't do that today. No, yeah, we could. But we're not interested in cutting giant stones. We don't need to do that anymore, right? And of course, you know, I, I get how they could do that back then. You know, they didn't have distractions like we have now. They didn't have internet porn, smartphones. They didn't have Taco Tuesdays, PS4, Netflix, and jet skis. They had time to specialize in one thing, right? They didn't have AC. Why, why not just fucking go outside and get some work done? It's not going to be any much better in the house. You know, we could cut stones very precisely now and build pyramids, but we can do little stones. We can have those, you know, made in a factory, and they're much easier to carry around you know, for people to build with. <laughs> we don't, we don't build pyramids because they're impractical. They take up a lot of land, very expensive, and not many people can live in them, right? There's no reason to do that anymore. And uh, maybe some ancient civilization, you know, could have built an elaborate structure on Oak Island. Maybe they could have, but why would they? Why would they do it there? You know, <laughs> and if they did, there would be evidence because it would have taken decades for them to do. So many people, it took 100,000 slaves in 20 years to build like one of the pyramids, like it would have taken thousands of people and decades to build some underground fortress that we're, you know, still keeping, can't get in today. There would be archaeological evidence of a lot of people being camped there for a long period of time. There'd be coins, tools, pottery, so much else that has never turned up. But that's just what me and Bojangles and Michael Motherfucker McDonald and James Ingram think. That's what, just, you know, that's what we think. And I could go on and on, but I think it's time to get to those top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. All right, number one, the first dig occurred on Oak Island in 1795, and the treasure hunters found what every else, everyone else has found since. Nothing. Number two, uh, William Kidd is a pirate rumored to have buried treasure on Oak Island. There is no record of him ever having been to Oak Island, let alone an indication of him uh, digging up treasure or you know, burying treasure there. Number three, so many holes have been dug over the years at Oak Island that it is now almost impossible to determine with any certainty where the first hole even was. Where are you supposed to stick a shaft if you don't know where the hole is? Number four, a sinkhole. What if this whole thing started because of a sinkhole? What if no one ever buried anything on that island? What if people have been wasting their lives for over two centuries trying to find a needle, you know, that isn't even in the haystack? At this point, is it admirable or pathetic that they just keep digging? And number five, new info, there isn't any, right? This story is a never-ending stream of more of the same. You can't solve a mystery when there isn't a mystery. It's just a regular fucking island. Enough already. Time suck. Top five takeaways. All right, bonus episode 14 is a wrap. Hope you liked it. Love a good mystery. I wish there would have been more to this one. Uh, but, you know, if I fluff this shit up, then just I'm as bad as the sensationalistic uh, networks, the snake oil salesman that I make fun of. So please don't hate the messenger. I just, I relay what I find. I would have loved to found something legitimate that makes it seem awesome. I would have loved to found, you know, to have found some kind of info about, you know, pirate treasure having a real chance of being there. 
but I didn't. Uh, if you don't already, listen uh, on the new TimeSuck app. New features uh, being added soon. Uh, the contact the show button, you know, moving from the website. It'll still be on the website, but also coming to the app very soon. Uh, send in topic requests and updates you can, you know, via the app. You'll be able to do that right away, making everything easier. Thanks again for rating the app. Uh, everyone in the Apple and the, and the Google Play Store, really appreciate that. Ratings everywhere uh, and anywhere help so much. Just get the word out. Uh, so download the TimeSuck app. Uh, watch it be continually improved. Uh, some new merch in the store. Uh, the hoodies and pullovers are in, and they are looking fucking good. So happy with them. Uh, man, Danger Brain just crushed it. Get that 400% culted curious Arctic foxtail hoodie. I know sometimes I say Arctic. Uh, you guys caught me. Uh, they are available now, as is the green space lizard cult of the curious 605% hummingbird tail feather pullover. And the red men's 251% domestic starved elderly moleskin hail nimrod shirt is also in. Couple more days probably uh, on the other shirts, maybe sooner. Uh, I jumped the gun on the, a little bit of the announcement. You know, live and learn. Uh, I shouldn't announce until everything is actually in the store. There were just some uh, some ink problems, but I, I love the danger. I was like, no, man, we're not fucking putting out a, 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 you know, a shirt with fucked up ink. We we're gonna get this perfect, and we're gonna you know make sure that it's perfect before we before we let it go. I love their commitment to quality. Uh, the new podcast studio, the Suck Dungeon, as someone called it online, is uh, now ready to record in. I just got to get there uh, to record in it. Still a lot of work to do to make it look cool, but it's record ready, and I can't wait to test it out. Uh, thanks for all the iTunes and Facebook reviews and ratings again this past week. Man, thank you, thank you, thank you. Over 2,100 ratings on iTunes uh, now, and that helps so much. That's where so many people find podcasts. Let's, you know, let's lure them in there, bring them over to the app. Uh, each time you leave a good rating uh, and review, you know, you do spread the suck. Sorry for the delays getting time stuck on YouTube. It's just been taking forever to load up these giant fucking files on hotel Wi-Fi, as it turns out. And I'm just moving around constantly, so I'm not in one place where I can just sit and let my computer just work all the time. I'm always on the go. Uh, special thanks to Time Suckers Jason White, Alec Turmer, Joey Fenwick, Bo Sullivan, Nigel Sneed, Lori Humple, uh, Ariston Bowers, Nick Nurgat, Anyone else who suggested this topic? And thanks to Sydney Shies for killing it on social media. Harmony Velikamp uh, for all her help on social media as well. Also, just killing it. This Monday, Time Suck 66, Eleanor Roosevelt, first lady for just over 12 years. That's a lot of first lady in. Her husband was elected president four times. A record. Amazing. Illegal now. See, <laughs> record that won't be broken, hopefully. Uh, she transformed the role, the first lady from the, from the background for, you know, just a, a lady in the background to being an active participant in DC politics. Uh, you know, after her husband's death, she became the first United States representative to the United Nations Commission on Human Rights. She's a big human rights advocate, an inspiring woman, inspiring human. My niece is named after her, uh, little Ellie Bird, a little light to kick off the week before Christmas. A nice suck on a strong woman during these insane times of sexual harassment scandals. All right, it feels right. Glad those scandals are coming out, by the way, man. Feels like we're lancing the boil, man. Let's get the infection out of there. Let's fucking move on. And, uh, you know, this is the first uh, episode that I'll be, re- you know, doing that our that our new Bojangles research intern, Maddie Teeter, has helped me out on. Doing a lot of the, all the initial research, man. Maddie's fantastic. She's a joy to work with. Uh, can't wait to work with her on a lot more episodes. Uh, glad I'm getting one of hers out now and excited for this Monday episode. And I'm excited to check in with the Cult of the Curious with some Time Sucker updates. Time sucker updates. First update is from sucker extraordinaire Brian H., who writes in with some kind words, saying, Dear sucks a lot. Oh, excuse me, dear sir sucks a lot. Oh, I appreciate that. I just wanted to send a quick email letting you know about how much of an impact your podcast has had on me in such a short time. 
podcasts are a fairly recent thing for me, and I came over from Astonishing Legends, and I wasn't really sure what to expect. I'm glad I did because I truly feel that you have a solid approach to podcasting. I've learned so much and feel like I've found a place where like-minded individuals can come together and just be interested in exploring concepts and coming to whatever truth satisfies them. Most importantly, how we can respectfully disagree with each other and walk away not feeling quote-unquote butthurt or like someone has to quote-unquote win. Anyway, there's a lot of darkness out there, and your podcast has been a beacon for my insatiable curiosity and desire to know. I love that. Uh, kind of feels a bit like home. P.S. Your Chikatilo still cracks me up. Well, this is good. I'm glad you still enjoy stuff. Sh- uh, shame cook. Uh, suck on it coming, suck it long, and suck it hard. Thank you, Brian. Man, I'm honored you found a new home here in the cold and curious. Yeah, we, we can agree, man. Not get too butthurt, right? You know, every once in a while, I piss people off with a religious or political view, and then they write me an angry email. Maybe I get fired up for a second. I let it go. You know, I do want to be clear. Uh, I don't think of less of someone if they disagree with me, you know, religious-wise or, or politically-wise, you know? If you're super, like, uber, you know, far-right or Christian, whatever, man. You know? If, you know, if we're talking and you give me shit for being socially liberal or, or non-religious on some issue, I don't fucking care. I can, de- I can disagree with someone politically and still be cool with them, you know? I, I, I don't understand people who just cannot do that. I don't think it's healthy just to only surround yourself with like-minded people, right? It sends your mind to some weird places. You know, like I get along really well with my next door neighbor. Uh, as you'll find out soon when the when the, uh, the Time Suck uh, album comes out, I do not get a well uh, get along with my neighbor behind me. But my next door neighbor, he he listens to Rush Limbaugh every single day in his shop. He's an old retired guy, loves Rush uh, Limbaugh, loves Bill O'Reilly, loves Trump. You know, all three of those guys. Uh, to be completely honest, just rub me the wrong way. I don't I don't care for <laughs> I don't care for them personally. You know, I don't even like to look at their you know faces, which I find to be pretty smug. But but I love Jim. You know, I've taken him and his wife out to dinner with Lindsay and I, you know, and he's told me, you know, over dinner, how he thinks liberals are ruining the country. He has no use for him, right? You know, I don't fucking, I don't care, you know, partly because, you know, I heard, maybe I hate, you know, hate certain liberal policies too. I have no interest in living in a welfare state, some kind of socialist fucking situation, you know, but I also don't want to cut support single parents, you know, who need some help getting ahead, things like that. You know, again, I have my own various ideas that don't always align with either major party. But even if I did, I could I could still handle some disagreement. I, I just don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't need you to think like you know me to be friends. You know, I uh, I, I respect Jim very very much, and I think he's a uh, he's a good dude. Yeah, you know, I just uh, I just need you to let me uh, disagree and be me and be okay with that, and I can be okay with you. You know, thinking what you want to think. Sometimes outside of the suck, it feels like the world's gone mad, man. People treating real life like it's a like it's a fucking game, like you're cheering for your team. You know, like you're a. Uh, Steelers fan, and you know, and you just don't like the Patriots, and you're just going to cheer everything the Steelers do, and you're going to boo everything the Patriots do. This this isn't a fucking game. This is our life. You know, there's only one side. Uh, There's only one team, the human team. We're all on it, you know, whether we want to be or not. And just people, I don't know, a lot of them just keep forgetting that. So thanks for reminding me, Brian, that a lot of you guys, uh, uh, you know, haven't forgot that. So love your thoughts. Um, this is in from Wonder Sucker, Emily Richardson. Dear Master Suck, my dude and I have been huge fans of your comedy and the podcast since its inception. Love that word, inception, by the way. And appreciate the mix of intellectually stimulating topics laced with dark humor and cult characters. Hail Nimrod. We often use our post-Time Suck Monday nights for some quality time and further discussion. A few months ago, he was deployed. And with Christmas coming up, I've been racking my brain for what I could do to remind him he's appreciated and missed back home. I love that. I couldn't think of anything he would like more than a time suck shout out from the Lord and Master himself. I know it's a busy fuck show in the land of the suck, huh? Is it ever right now? Uh, But you, if you get the opportunity, I would greatly appreciate it if you would send Bojangles in a scantily clad Mrs. Claus costume to GM1, Christopher Thompson in Djibouti. 
for some holiday cheer. I appreciate your time and everything you do. As always, keep on sucking your loyal suckling, Emily. Well, aren't you just the fucking best, Emily? But why am I sending the scantily clad Bojangles to your to your dude? Why am I not sending Lucifina? Is she too naughty, too sexy? Why don't I get her over there and some garters and some fishnets, right? No? Got to send a three-legged dog instead? Well, okay. Well, hail Nimrod and praise Bojangles, GM1 Christopher Thompson. You lucky man. Sound like you have a, have a great lady in your life. Thank you, sir, for keeping us safe, and I, and I hope you have a good Christmas abroad, man. I have a special place in my heart for you military suckers. I, I really do. I had a veteran Matt Post come out last night in Madison. Give me a special forces airborne green beret coin. Jesus Christ, man. I about teared up. I'm in awe of the sacrifices you guys make for the rest of us. Not, you know what? I say guys there. I got to stop doing that. That's just this weird gender mistake. You people do for us, this men and women serving in the military. You know, And I'm in awe of the sacrifices you people make for us. Stay safe, Christopher. And I hope you can find some decent turkey gravy and mashed potatoes over there in Djibouti. But I don't think the area around the Red Sea particularly known for some kick-ass turkey dinners. So, you know, maybe when you get home, eat an extra one. Eat a big, uh, big old extra turkey dinner, some cranberry sauce. Make up for the one that maybe you won't get this year. But I hope you do get something, you kick-ass son of a bitch. And, and last one for today, Flat Earth Update. You know how I love those. This is in from Time Sucker, Joshua Lane. Says, new listener and have become obsessed with the suck. I recently went back and listened to the Flat, flat Earth episode, and it has been a fascination of mine for a while. Not because I believe the Earth is flat, but because I long to understand how someone could believe something so insanely stupid. Exactly. I thought you would like to know that the Flat Earth Society <laughs> is planning a march in Atlanta for the beginning of 2018. Keep on sucking, Dan. And hail Nimrod. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Oh, man, this is a real event. He, uh, he sent me a picture of it. If you'd like to attend, it's happening Monday. January 1st. Please, somebody go to this. Monday, I can't make it, but Monday, January 1st at 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time. It's at the CNN Center in Atlanta. (laughs) And it is, and I quote, a march against the corrupt and biased left-wing spheroids in charge of the media. Wow. What What an incredible amount of dumb. This event is hosted by someone who refers to themselves as the wolf. Of course it is. It's not gonna be ran by a normal person with a normal name. The wolf's putting this on. He's fucking pissed off at the spheroids, pushing, pushing our sphere agenda. This is endlessly fascinating to me. What is the benefit of hiding the truth of a flat earth? Like, I just don't, I don't get the agenda. Like, if the earth was flat, okay, well, why wouldn't we just admit it? <laughs> why wouldn't we biased left-wingers admit it? What is there to gain from this lie, you know? Who's the, just come on, everyone. We have to double down on this earth is round bullshit. If people find out the truth, they're going to walk out into space. And they're going to find out that if you walk out into space, you don't have to work anymore and you get to live forever and you feel good all the time and you're never hungry and you, and you can't get STDs and everyone wants to have sex with everyone else and it's happy and then no one ever dies. And if they find that out, they're going to stop letting us exploit them here on earth and they're going to, hey, hey, wait a minute. Why am I not out in space? It sounds fucking fantastic. So long, bitches. I'm out. Ah, that makes no sense. I uh, never get tired of those flat earthers, man. Never get tired of hearing from you time suckers either. Thanks, time suckers. I needed that. We all did. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Check out those new shirts in the store. Uh, buy those Denver and Indy tickets soon. And don't throw your life savings away chasing buried treasure, right? Uh, put it in your retirement. And keep on sucking. Price drop? Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. 
Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you suddenly had an extra hour show up in your day every day, what would you do with it? Work out? Sleep? Read a book? Play Fortnite? Call your mom? Take judo lessons? Finally watch all the episodes of Shameless? A lot of us spend a lot of our time wishing we had more time. But why? Time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The bad news is that you're not going to get that 25th hour. But what you can probably do is reprioritize where you spend some of your time. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it with your time. This year, my health is more important to me than cranking out another stand-up special as fast as possible. So I canceled a tour, sacrificed that income, and decided to spend a lot of the time I just got back working out more, resting more, relaxing more, and enjoying time with family, friends, and just myself. And I'm so glad I did. I feel better than I have in a long time. And my BetterHelp therapist, Debbie, was very helpful in getting me to make the decision to pull back. Thank you, Debbie. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash TimeSuck today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash TimeSuck.